friends. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, and NBs, to another episode of the Watery Desho podcast. It's probably bad, but we think that can be good. It's Request Line, the second episode of the Request Line. I am the Subtle Doctor, and I am joined by my buddy, uh, not the you know, ill-fated 80s Mattel toy, my buddy, but my actual friend. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, The hardest working man in pod business, the Chromius Dome, Shadon. (laughs) Well, that would be the name of my toy line and why, yes, I am fully posable. (laughs) (laughs) All all the manipulative joints. Whoa. Oh, God. (laughs) Hope you're all doing well, folks. Anyway, uh, that toy line will never happen, no matter how much we merchandise the hell out of this. Like, if we go full kiss on Wari Desho, if that, like, you know, ever happens, I promise you there will be no fully poseable shade on Doll. I think you've let down a great number of patrons by this statement you just made. (laughs) Well, it's it's fine, you know. I'll get them the, uh, like, the head, whatever it is, like, the... The headwig thing that you wear where it turns you bald, but then also comes with like this really cheap fake beard. <laughs> okay, that sounds like a fair compromise. We got to put that as a as like a stretch goal on our Patreon. Um, mm-hmm. Well, as I said, everybody, uh, we are covering Barakamon for today's request line, and we like to thank Mirror on the Wall for Yay! following the secret instructions, uh, going to the. Uh, Illicit is not the right word, but the uh, the secret the secret phone booth and and dialing the the number in a clandestine way. And I was going to say the illicit phone booth is something entirely different. Yes, I think it's true. It's true. Um, I just I, I the word that I was going to use left me, and then all I could think about was this scene in the Netflix Baki anime where two <laughs> gigantic roided out motherfuckers have like a fight in a phone booth. Like that's physically impossible <laughs> to do. Um, but, amazing. <laughs> yes. But anyway, thank you mirror, uh, for getting us that, uh, hidden secret encrypted communication, uh, getting it into the, you know, the answer phone of mystery. And yeah. so, I read Here that. Um, I put that cover... little. I put that little communication through, like you know, Morse code translator, and just uh, reeling off this like little slip of paper. I read it. Hold it. I was like, "Watch Brackmon, you idiots!" Is this you trapped in the basement of the house? Yeah. Morse coding it out. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> I just realized <laughs> what you were referencing. Yes. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> But the thing, well, well, obviously no, because we got the message in the end. So there yes, we go. It's true. <laughs> it's true. We our our movie ended differently. Um, but you might be wondering out there, what is Barakamon? Because, um, I don't know. Like, do you hear a lot of people talking about this show a bunch? Um, Shadon, mm. I, I know my experience. Like, like this is right around the time I got into like really online fandom but i don't know like i it was probably like a couple years later where i was actually like sufficiently plugged into with with the quote-unquote right people or at least you know the newsmakers and tastemakers and stuff i just don't remember a lot of people talking about this show but that's the case for a lot of good shows these days honestly mm-hmm. um i'll be honest i had not heard of this really until mirror had requested from us I guess you could say it never never quite got off the island for me. Oh, 
Oh, no. Oh, well, yeah. I'm going to now punch you and get get banished <laughs> from that show. Um, I'm going to totally look... Well, well mine is like having not having as much hair. I am totally going to have the same attitude... Uh, and general, like you know, demeanor and look as the director in this show. The, the character that is not the actual show director, I should say. Sure. Yes. Um, so, Your podcast like, is mechanical. <laughs> so so we made it out of a textbook. <laughs> That's right. You're you podcast like other podcasters. Ooh. What I need from you is to discover your own podcasting style. Anyway, these jokes make no sense to you if you haven't seen the show, but but that's okay. Like this first small portion of the show will be uh, spoiler free, um, but it'll be a smaller portion than normal, I think, because due to the nature of what this show is, which I'll get into in a moment, but due to what it is, um, there's only so much. Um, kind of analysis that we feel like you know we can pull from it and maybe we'll get more than we think as we get into the show and start talking about it but but I think because of the kind of show it is um it necessitates us approaching it slightly differently so there'll be more I think quote unquote spoilery talk because we're going to uh just talk more about um about characters and uh the events of the plot and recount things and i'd like and i'll explain my reasoning behind that in just a moment but uh but yeah barack Aman obama uh here we go <laughs> this is in my notes uh, uh barack uh, barack Aman is a, a 2014 anime by studio kinema citrus it is oh a, oh that rings a bell oh no <laughs> this is bad isn't it they, um, which, I'm, the I'm, I'm 99% certain they're the studio who did Shield Hero. Right. Yes. Thank you. I was. I knew it was either Shield Hero or the Soda Pop Girls. Um, I couldn't remember which one. But, it might well. Uh, you know what? It might well have been both. Like, in, oh in, Jesus Christ! I, I'm probably wrong on that, but at this point, you know, like no, lightning no, 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 does no. sometimes You're strike right. twice. You're right about Shield Hero. Like they are the Shield Hero, they are a studio that worked on Shield Hero. I think the primary one. So presumably at um, gunpoint. <laughs> I hope they. You know, this would be before they completely fell into the dark times um, when they were doing lovely, wholesome Yashike anime, such as Barakamon. Now, uh, what do I mean by Yashike? Uh, I think like that's just a way of uh, talking about something called healing anime ah, ah. Um, may is... i may i reference our own podcast history uh, because Absolutely. you actually used that term once to describe aka 13 uh, when uh-huh. i was talking about it way back when because I, at the time i watched it and i was like i don't get it uh, 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 and i think i might have been a bit flippant and made a joke like why what was it trying to heal insomnia um but hey <laughs> yeah that was very cruel of me and and i'll be honest right like ever since i listened to um anime's lit's wonderful podcast episode on aka 13 uh shouts to danny and Kay. um Yo. my opinion personally on it hasn't changed as much but 
I will say, like, I feel more open to the idea of it being a healing anime now, and now understand the idea, like, behind the concept more as a result. Uh, but yeah, not a term I'm entirely unfamiliar with, as it turns out. Good, good. So, yeah, the the idea of these sorts of anime, broadly speaking, are um, less about high-stakes drama and, you know, situations involving a lot of uh, excitement being generated from the viewer, and it is more about uh, soothing the viewer, about uh, sussing out of them very particular, like, chill, mellow, comforting emotions and emotional states so that leads to shows um of a certain kind of tone and a certain kind of pacing um that are different than you know shows in other genres and you might be wondering well what are some other examples of yashike because i really dig barakamon i i watched it just for this very podcast and so now um so i'll tell you uh right offhand three that came to mind when i was writing up this sheet of notes. Um, I remember first learning about this genre in the early part of the last decade when I was on a forum. Um, and the main example put forward back then was Aria. Uh, and that is about these lady gondoliers on the planets. Uh, I don't know if it's Mars and Venus or just Venus, but, uh, but yeah, really chill show i've heard there's like three different seasons of it like aria the natural aria the animation um and um a very popular one that i'm sure you've heard of uh shadan and also you out there is natsume's book of friends natsume yujincho i haven't um, actually you have not oh, okay there's like a bazillion seasons of it. <laughs> oh, I, I, I i i must have been under the rock that day you know like it's where i like to hide but i don't want to you know deal with the world in general must just pass me by there's a really good cat demon thing or uh cat uh yokai rather which is different than our concept of demon uh and then one i know i absolutely know you know about because um it was popular and recent yuru camp oh god yes laid back camp just show all about uh girls in i think they're in high school not middle school but uh high school who love camping and just about them going camping and enjoying you know the joys they're in of nature and camping tools i am very, very sad i am very sad that there is not a uh, glastonbury spin-off of that or a similar rock festival kind of oh. <laughs> follow-up season <laughs> That would rule. They really should do like a music festival show. That's just as long as they keep it light. Like we don't want, don't want the, like none of those characters like going. This is methamphetamine. <laughs> right. Come to my orgy, bro. No. Um, yeah. No, that could get that could get a little dicey. Uh, and I think you know why it works as a healing anime is because it's you know very few people. <laughs> involved uh but that's sort of the genre broadly that barakamon fits into um you know i guess you could argue it's a little bit more slice of lifey but like i'm not gonna quibble with you about it um plot wise though shadon do you think you could give maybe an elevator pitch here like someone looking to dive into the show because it's only 12 episodes um there is by the there is by the way i should note uh I don't know if you knew this because I didn't know this. 
um, a prequel slash spinoff show. Oh, it came out a couple years. I think it's 2016 vintage. I think it's just called Honda-san. And it's about uh, our titular Wait, what's the bookseller Honda-san? He turned into what? a skull and bought a manga store. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Different character. <laughs> it's, it's about our main character in this show when he was in high school and ah. still very much uh, full of himself. <laughs> so it's a, sort of a different sort of show, I think. But uh, but anyway, yeah, tell like, what's Barakamon about? Well, Barakamon is about what happens when you take the OK Boomer philosophy to its next level. Hmm. Am I actually wrong? Because you fit like... <laughs> Sorry. That was a... <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. I have to come think on, about that... this, actually. <laughs> come on, that was, that was his response to the director. Just he decides to punch him instead of saying it. The, like, the violent manifestation of OK Boom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. I, can, um, I can agree to that, yes. <laughs> all right. So the, basically, it boils down to this. You've got, um, this is actually, funnily enough, the perfect week for us to cover Barakamon in because we're also going to be covering yes. uh, Rako Shinjo. And this is essentially an examination of a very rigid uh, art in uh, Japanese culture, along with both Rako and I'd also say Takazura Fira, Fira. I probably completely butchered the uh, pronunciation of that, but you know what I mean. Which Takarazuka, absolutely. Takarazuka, yes. that's the one, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which relies on very stringent rules and expectations of the people t- uh, taking part of it. Uh, and it's about one particular guy who is lambasted for his work and there are indeed violent physical consequences as a result of this, which is not what you'd expect when, you, when we talk about a healing anime, to be honest. Um, but it, it results in him being exiled i suppose if you want to call it that to an island to um cool his head and try and find some inspiration for his work basically yeah i think like looking at it a certain way i think it it totally makes sense as a healing anime and that's you know not the not necessarily the violent sort of uh fuse that that lights the fire that is this anime um but if you think about it, like, you know, Honda, our main character, our calligrapher, uh, has been immersed in doing calligraphy basically his entire life. It's been like he's devoted his whole life to getting better at this. And he's really good. Like he's won grand prizes, like he's celebrated. But, you know, you have this guy sort of ranked above him, like the owner of this gallery, director of his uh institute or organization something who's just like hey you know this is not good enough despite the fact that it won the grand prize and you have all this frustration and stress built up in in honda and then the rest of the show is about taking this very stressed out man and de-stressing him Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that he can uh gain uh some personal insight and I think that, like, fact that it is about um, taking a very, like, uh, overworked, stressed person and kind of relaxing them, like, basically taking, uh, what do you call those things that you roll dough with, a dough dough roller to to his stress and soul and, like, mashing it all down (laughs) um, 
is I don't know like pin. that's that's sort of what healing anime is meant to be for, like for the viewer. Mm-hmm. Someone someone absolutely should use a rolling pin on me to work my stress out. By the way, I would totally be okay with that. Um, but yeah, th- I mean, the idea behind a healing anime can be very didactic in that it's literally about a character healing inside the show proper, which is certainly true with Barakamon. Um, but to expand on that concept, I think it also applies just generally leaving the viewer and the audience, you know, feeling good, you know, like they've had a good time, they've enjoyed it. Generally, you feel more chilled out than when you started. Totally. Um, so it, it can work both ways, and I think Barack Obama actually succeeds at doing both, in my opinion. But yeah, that's basically the pitch. Like, he Honda goes out to this island to uh, basically be away from the city, to be away from the stresses of, of that kind of life, uh, from the expectations hoisted upon him, and just try and find himself and find, you know, a certain personality to his work. Although I will note that you brought up something very interesting, which I want to address later, um, which is that he is a grand prize winner, as you say, but the director still says, actually, no, this is still dog shit, <laughs> you know. Uh, I want you to all to keep that in mind, would-be listeners at home, the bus, the park, uh, wherever you may be, if you're spelunking, I don't know, you might be listening to this podcast while you're deep in a cave. Um, you know, keep that in mind for the later discussion, that discrepancy between winning the contest, but also the director saying, no, this still sucks. Yeah, it's, oh, man. I, I feel like go, going into why the director doesn't appreciate that work, I think it's spoiler territory, but but it is... Um, a very specific reason why he doesn't like it that I think again works for uh kind of putting the crosshairs you know the the gun reticle directly on the demographic of the show uh which is like stressed out young men um because I don't think this is um a show for like you know the sort of typical anime demo, uh, you know, kids in high school or, you know, early college feels like this is for a little bit older of a group for, for young professionals, yes. uh, you know, because it is about a young professional and, and a lot of the, you know, a lot of the sort of more heartwarming and humorous moments involve a young professional's interaction with a very young girl and those kind of, I don't know, interactions just make me think, like, this is f- supposed to be for adults and not for teenagers. Yeah, I'm I'm in agreement. Um, this is definitely not aimed at your typical, like, shonen-show audience, if you want to call it that, or target gr- demographic. But that's fine. Uh, but also, I think it might also explain in some way why this didn't seem to be on my radar, even though it is pretty mm. good. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a shame, but yeah, we'll get it. We'll get into specifics in a little bit on that, but definitely aimed at like people like me. Funnily enough, I would I would suppose I would say. Yeah, yeah, and um, so I'm looking now uh, to confirm this theory, uh, and I think we're we're dead on. And this will this will get us to the next section of our outline to talk about the creatives. So, Barakamon is not an anime original work. It was a manga that ran. Um, this can't be right. There's no way this is right. <laughs> try me. Go on, try me, dog. <laughs> so I can believe it began in February 2008. However, my animalist says that it ended its run on January 10th, 2019. 
this is five years Ooh. after the show was done. So uh, pr- there's more to the story, I guess. Uh, Pass. <laughs> I, <don't... laughs> I guess there's more to the story. Well, well, um, about the only about the only alternatives to that would be that the final like volumes of the manga like were sent back in time and used to create the anime. Um, I wish they'd have done more with the time travel technology in that case, right? But hey, you know what? We still got a good anime <laughs> out of it, so that's something. Oh, gosh. Um. So it was serialized in. Uh, why do I not have it in front of me? Gone, gone online. And I'm looking to see uh, if we have the demographic um, in front of me. Tiny Chaos Gremlins. That's the target demographic. What's that? Tiny Chaos Gremlins. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, okay, so it says it's both, uh, it publishes Shonen and Seinen. I was going to say it's just straight up Seinen, which is for, for you know, manga for, for grown men. Um, but it does have, uh, you know, it did publish Full Metal Alchemist, um, and uh, that is most certainly a shonen manga. Um, but it looks like it does a bit of both. And this was a, a print that was published by Square Enix in 2003. It was founded. Uh, well, no, I guess it was founded by Enix in 91, but it just moved over to Square Enix because of the merger. So. Um, but yeah, Barakamon, a manga written by uh, Satsuki Yoshino, who I don't really see uh, any other manga um, outside of this franchise that he's written. But now I understand why, given the fact that it just ended last year. <laughs> so he's he finally got for, off the island. You know, <laughs> he's busy for a decade. He, uh, he did every single sheet on the you know the walls of a room inside of his house. <laughs> exactly yep exactly as the the sliding closet full of manga pages he um, definitely is a manga author though because at least one character is very heavily into manga <laughs> and and yes. and let's basically uh, right like i didn't realize we'd get rule 34 judge iso in this particular show but here we are oh man tamako rules <laughs> she's, she's great best. she's good um, she's very good uh so um the author did also do um the Honda-kun manga and so uh did, don't think that the spin-off is anime original or whatever there's also like a weird special thanks to the author in the second episode of Watamote which you need to watch at some point that's also a Gangan online manga but like the anime like i felt incredibly seen at times by this anime it's a wonderful glorious show uh mm. watamote the full title is um something like i don't care what you say it's you guys fault that i'm not popular but watamote is easier to say oh shit you stole the title <laughs> of my autobiography exactly. damn it exactly. i'm gonna have to go up with something new now why, why? <laughs> uh let's so for the anime damn it. Bro, I'm, I'm gonna call my oh, autobiography gonna... <laughs> uh, i'm gonna call it uh you know damn it you stole the title for this you prick you know who you are that's good that's very good. Um, I would endorse that title. Put put me down for a back of the box quote, a back of the the book quote. I um, knew him. Would be like, I like this title. <laughs> that's, that's I like, I know I know who the author is. That's the pull quote on the back. 
let's talk <laughs> about the director here um, of the TV show, Masaki Tachibana, who directed, uh, in addition to Barakamon, directed uh, a lot of people really like Princess Principal. Um, have you heard of or seen Princess Principal? Nope. Uh, does it go by the nickname of Pre Pre? It does. I knew it. It does. I think it's from 2017. Um, I wasn't cool... sober at any point during 2017. <laughs> I don't remember anything from then. It's a really neat show about uh, British spies. Um, Ooh. It's good. It's really fun. Um, and it has a great OP. Ah, so it's King's Woman then. There we go. I get it. I get it now. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah. Um, also the director of uh, Tokyo Magnitude 8.0, which I think is pretty underseen for how good it is. This is like a, a 2009 um, anime about uh, a horrible earthquake that takes place in Japan and some survivors kind of like making it out of the the ruins and aftermath and all that um Hmm, sounds familiar it's an anime disaster movie um but like it doesn't to my to my recollection it doesn't like become disaster porn or anything like that like it's just a really good character story do you reckon masaki Uh, uas was taking notes while re-watching that um perhaps uh well for for japan sinks um, oh, this maybe, is, it's pre- well, maybe it's the authorized prequel to it, or sequel rather. Oh man, I've I've heard such mixed reviews for this show. I'm very like hesitant to get into it. I know I will at some point. Have you got a sinking feeling about it? <laughs> yes, very hey. good. Very good. Uh, some but less less uh, well received properties that Tachibana has been involved with directorially. Uh, Fantasy Star Online 2. Um, that happened. And uh, where is it? Uh, the Legend of Heroes Trails in the Sky uh, OAV, which, I mean, I haven't seen it. And I know that there are some people that like video game anime. Oh, speaking of, there, he's also directed King of Fighters colon Another Day. Um <laughs> <laughs> like to me video game anime are like the bottom tier of anime <laughs> oh my god i mean we've we've watched uh did we actually watch a king of fighters anime um for the old uh bando fiercer series we did or am i thinking no that was street, street fighter, fighter alpha yeah you were street fighter alpha was the one yeah where, where chun li is constantly talking out of her undercarriage <laughs> many many dozens of shots frame chun li's crotch in the dead center of the frame (laughs) yes oh classic good times good times um but yeah um i mean he's worked on you know a lot of different like good properties though in terms of episode direction and storyboarding so um you know, we got uh, Erica Seven. We got Ghost and nice. Shell Standalone Complex. Nice. Like little bits here and there of, um, you know, Sword Art Online Alternative, Gun Gal Online. <laughs> oh, good. There's an alternative to Sword Art Online. Thank Christ. Finally. Yes. <laughs> Unless that's part of the title, in which case, shit. It's that's true, like, bona that, fides. That's, that's, like, that's like saying we've got Pepsi Max, then we've got Pepsi Max with vanilla thrown in. Great. Good. Yes. 
multiple colons in that title. <laughs> but uh, that's, oh, not re- if, that's not reassuring. I should, <laughs> I, should, I should also, the last thing I'll say for Tachibana is uh, storyboarded, I guess one of the storyboarders for the Napping Princess movie, which is really good. I love that movie just an awful lot. I, I totally underseen movie from a couple of years ago. It's in my, uh, what is it called? My pinned tweet. Um, oh, is that the one about being a lackey? It is. That's the ah. one. Yeah. Napping Princess rules. It's so good. I'm going to go rewatch it today. It rules. Am um, I your lackey doc? Is that why we're doing this podcast? Did it you, is. Did you it, secretly yep. make me a lackey all those years ago? Uh, yes, that is. I sent you some seeds in the mail and you don't remember, but you planted them and ate one of the fruit. This is a topical joke. Have you seen, have you seen that the weird seeds are showing up in America sent from unknown people in China? No, uh, I, I was thinking then like how there's been a lot of news stories recently about how, like, I think it was it Siberia's like door to the underground is winding. And then we found like this weird shit on the moon, this giant egg elsewhere. <laughs> Is this like another doomsday thing? Is this is this basically the day of the Triffids? Twenty twenty, everybody. The Mayans <laughs> yeah. like just had a rounding error. I think th- there was some crazy thing I read from the Wall Street Journal yesterday that was like twenty three different states. Like people have received seeds in the mail from like these unknown addresses in China. And uh, unfortunately for all of us, uh, a few people have already planted them. So nice going. Dave, Dave, when the, the evil demon right plant like sprouts and consumes all of us at, into a giant Venus flytrap, just know that it's your fault. Wow. Uh, <laughs> the, the Rocky uh, franchise shop of horrors. Yes. yes. Sorry. Little, little, I've got the two, Completely mixed with it. A little pet shop of friend going franchise across the US. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, I knew what you great. I knew what you meant. I knew what you meant. Thank thank God for that. I didn't <laughs> Okay. Head writer, uh Masafumi Sugira, um, also known as Pierre Sugira. And Ooh. under this pseudonym, you'll find all of their work. Um so a small CV, very small. Um, of course, we got the Barakamon series composition and the scripts. But have you heard of a little anime called Bottom Biting Bug? Uh, no, I've not heard of the Triple B anime. <laughs> the Triple B. All three seasons, he either wrote the scripts or was credited with series composition. Um, and he also wrote the scripts to something called uh, Kumamiko. Girl meets bear. The uh, that does that doesn't sound like a happy show at all. <laughs> the anime boy meets world that you didn't know that you wanted. Um, yeah, I mean, and also was it only an uh, episode long. Was she was she eaten alive? <laughs> it's a TV show. I don't know how long it is. Maybe <laughs> it shouldn't be that long though. Girl meets bear episode two. Girl dies. Um, yeah, we also got scripts for something called uh, Token Rambu uh, Hanamaru. Is that the one with the the boys anthropomorphize as weapons? Um, Pass. I think token Rambo shows are that, um, but I'd, I I don't feel like checking at the moment thoroughly. So, because we spent a long time covering the creatives, those are the main people I think I wanted to highlight. Uh, of course, if we've forgotten anybody, um, you know, like oh the Seiyu Daisuke Ono voiced 
uh, Honda. Um, or other people well, let um, us know. One thing I'll mention is I don't know this chap's name uh, offhand, but I am 99% certain the guy who voices Kao Fuji is also the guy who voices, uh, voices um, Shofu Khan in Thunderbolt Fantasy, uh, the lead character in that. But hmm. I could compare notes on that because my anime list still does not list Thunderbolt Fantasy as an anime. <laughs> as it shouldn't. As it fucking shouldn't. Listen, and this goes out to you too, H-Bomber guy, calling Ruby an anime. Anime means something. It doesn't just mean cool shit. <laughs> it means something. Now, what exactly it means, I don't know, and there's a lot of different arguments I'll listen to, but it does not mean puppets, nor I think does it mean Ruby. Might as well just call things eggplants at this point, and I've done with it. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Um, so let's talk about this particular eggplant. Um, so before we begin... And I think here is as good a place as any as to drop the old spoiler warning, because I think we're about to get into it. Do you have any other non-spoilery stuff to say? Um, not immediately offhand, really, to be honest, because um, everything I'm going to be discussing, I will because even though this is a healing anime and like you could probably already guess a number of the plot threads that come about in this um, in this show just by necessity like okay gentleman goes to an island i wonder if he might leave it or not at some point i mean oh. that's arguably a spoiler but at the same time that seems pretty obvious um i thought but, you meant was there a beach episode and a bathhouse episode like every anime and the answer is yes and they're good they're actually good <laughs> they're to, really to, good to, to well that's the thing like this show all around like you got my spoiler free opinion it is pretty good i am gonna admit freely though that unfortunately like a lot of the individual jokes seem to have left my memory i think i laughed them at the time but they don't seem to have much staying power for me um mm. be, for some characters more than others i mean naru uh you know chaos deity that she is like there's plenty of stuff that i remember about her and she's great in her own right um but broadly speaking like i i think i would say that i definitely enjoyed my time with barakamon but i probably won't be talking about it much le- going forward if you don't know what i mean um although that being said like i i did mention that this is a provident time for us to discuss this because we are covering rako shinya and they actually kind of tackle similar things surprisingly enough although obviously um mm. this show tackles it a different firstly a different subject matter which is calligraphy versus actual rako and secondly it is very much more subtext rather than outrightly stated like themes and ideas as it is with Rakugo. Um, But that's not to its detriment, I should stress, because obviously they're trying to accomplish very different things. But I do think it's interesting and neat to note that there are works out there that are very willing to criticize what are otherwise Japanese institutions of art and culture. Um, Like, you know, the rigidness of calligraphy and the standards that come about with it and even the idea of, you know, as I said before, you won the competition, but it's still shit, which doesn't make sense, of course, if you think about it. But then, well, I'll dive into that more later. Um, so I'm really, really impressed with how the show, like, it does accomplish being funny. It does accomplish being lighthearted and refreshing. It's like having a nice cold drink sat on the porch, if you, might, if you want to call it like that. Um, but it does have things to say. Yeah. Um, which are not like so like heavily like laid out for you, like not slavered on, but they are there and they're handled well in my opinion. So I think that, you know, if you treat it like that as something that 
I don't want to say necessarily as disposable, but rather I guarantee people will have a good time with it, but I just don't know if necessarily it'll stick around with you after the facts, which is a shame, but maybe that's kind of also half the point, you know? I, I don't know. Um, we'll go through as we talk along, but yeah, like I overall quite enjoyed this show. Uh, there's nothing explicitly wrong with it, save for some of the jokes, which I will get to in a bit. What if that's yeah by design? Like it's meant to, you're you're meant to just go through you quick, so you'll you'll want to rewatch it sooner than a very memorable show. It's like a tea. You can't remember some great glass of tea you had like a month ago, but you know you want some tea, and then you just drink another tea, and just rewatch Barakamon again, or watch another healing anime when you need it. Yes, right. Uh, well, I guess since you. <clears throat> Pardon me. Since you brought up uh, Showa Genroku Rakugo Shinjo, I, I totally probably mispronounced it. Rakugo Shinju. Uh, now would be as good a time as any for me to plug our Patreon. Because I know everyone listening to this now in the present time, um, early after its release, you are patrons. You already know the deal. You're... You're on the three dollar tier or above. You you get it. Uh, but once this goes free to air, you know, hopefully it will go into the ears of folks who are not patrons. And you know, if you if you become a patron, you get all kinds of cool stuff. Like, you know, if you're on the the three dollar tier, you get to listen to these um, request line episodes. If you're on the five dollar tier, you get to make the requests uh, and listen to them. You get access to um, all kinds of watch-alongs, some at the $3 tier, some at the $5 tier. You get to be part of our cool Discord where, you know, we have a good community of cool people who are chill and great, and we do game nights and movie nights where we all get together on, on voice and yeah. uh, indulge in the media. We recently uh, did a group watch of uh, Bong Joon-ho's Parasite, uh, we've also been in group watches of things like Japan Sinks as well. Ride Your Wave is the one coming oh, up? Yes, you're right. Yeah, very good. Um, so yeah, patreon.com slash show. Check it out. Um, but now, here we go. We're going to get into Barakamon. And as I alluded to at the top of the show, a bit of a different approach because this is an Iyashike, I think... And and like you said, like, you have watched it very recently, but a lot of it has left you. I think a lot of the specifics might have done for other people as well. And even if they didn't, I think the joy of this show, one of its chief joys would be, like, remembering the characters and thinking about the cast and just thinking about how much fun you've had with them as opposed to, like, sort of what they mean or you know, who they are in some, like, metaphor. Hmm. As you say, there's, like, stuff happening in the show. There's analysis to be had and themes to tease out, but probably, probably, like, just most of the fun is hanging out with this big group of characters from this island. I wish I knew the name of the island. (laughs) I I think it was was the Goto Islands, I believe. I'll take it. I'll take it. Very good. They sell Barakamon phone straps 
uh, which is where the anime gets its name from, is these uh, these little cell phone charms that have Barakamon mm-hmm. written on them. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about each member of the core cast um, and share like a fun memory or an anecdote or kind of what we like about them um, before we get into the thematic discussion. How does that sound, Shadon? Sounds good to me. Excellent. Okay, so let's start off with Seishu or Sei Honda, our main character. As we said, he is a disgraced artist now. He has been kind of forced into exile by his dad because he has punched the art director, a very kind of revered figure, publicly punched him as well, not like in some private room and the work got it. It was at it was at the celebration of say winning the grand prize in this calligraphy showing and in front of a lot of people all the important people in the world of calligraphy he's punched this guy so now he's got to go live on the island and imagine it just to give you a comparison imagine if you're a video game developer and you decide to punch Hideo Kojima in the face yes yes because he said your game was unoriginal it's like it's a good game but it's too much like Super Metroid Make you make a different kind of game, and then you were upset because you've been slavishly following Super Metroid and all other Metroid type games to make the perfect Metroid, and you f- feel you've succeeded, and yet Kojima says this is not a good thing. Um, <laughs> but but so like Honda is starts out, and like I said, he's like super duper uh, stressed, super duper like too good for this island you know these people like how am i gonna like survive out here in the boonies who are these weirdos how am i gonna like do my art how am i gonna call people um you know i'm used to my lifestyle but like his dad was thinking when he sits him there you know not only will he like mature as an artist because i want him to kind of go to the next level uh, but he'll mature as a person as well. And his dad, it turns out, knows this from personal experience because he spent some time on this island as a, as a young man. Um, so, so for uh, Honda, like, what what do you think about when you think of Honda? Like, do you have some specific fun moments uh, or meaningful moments you want to highlight? Well, I think what I'll start with is just by mentioning his relationship with the rest of the characters. Because you essentially have a talented professional like him going to an island and everyone's constantly badgering him for something. And on paper, that can seem like, oh God, why don't they just leave him alone? But one thing I really want to note that I find very endearing about this show is that pretty much like from the halfway point of the first episode until the very end, like... Yes, there are people constantly coming to see him for various things, even if it's just Naru to play with him. But they always do use, like, you know, they call him sensei. Like, they have an amount of respect for him, um, which I always thought was really deep. And I think it really sets the tone of the relationship that he has with a lot of the other islanders, even though he might not realize it at first, which is that, yeah, they are, like, you know, very extroverted, very, like, you know, hey, how's it going? You know, like, because it's a small community. They're obviously very close-knit, and when everyone, they have someone new in there, then they do want to become similarly close-knit. But there's never, like, a lack of respect from any of them towards him, which I think is key to the part of the show's, like, healing anime element. 
but it also makes all of their like jokes and such very palpable because otherwise it could get very irritating very quickly if <laughs> you know they were constantly interrupting him while he was working like i just want to paint a fucking symbol that's all i want to do and, and i just want to write but, a word <laughs> yeah i just want to draw on the constant like that would get grating very quickly it would also be like not very funny to be honest to keep repeating that joke over and mm. over um but one of the things that i like about hander is that like from we learn very quickly that he is, apart from calligraphy, like he's generally very f- timid, very f- like scary cat kind of character. Uh, he overreacts to practically everything. Yes, yes. And it it doesn't to be, it feels to be like a contrast to him actually being a calligrapher because as I I should stress like my own handwriting is so bad that like the last time I did it, people <laughs> thought I was doing a tracing of like you know scratch marks as a at a crime scene. Um, so. When I say this, like, my understanding of calligraphy is that obviously it is about drawing um, Japanese symbols. Uh, I don't know if it's, like, Hiragi has... Uh, this, is why, this is why it's so bad. This I don't know this stuff. Like, I don't know if, like, which specific ways, but it's drawing them essentially as art. Um, but obviously there's a there's a form and a technique to it. Uh, it's, clearly there's a lot of strict standards as, uh, with it as well. Um, so, like, obviously he's got to be very precise with what he's doing. And yet, outside of that, he is like a little unhinged like a, like he's <laughs> he's clearly not very very like world why no. shall we say no he has no sheltered. idea how to do he has no idea how to deal with children he has no <laughs> idea how to deal with old children he has no idea how to deal with adults you know <laughs> that kind of thing um so i'm i like him a lot for that because i think in part like he learns to embrace the more like extroverted side of him as the show goes on um but like, if I wanted to mention a specific moment, um, God, this is where I'm struggling now. I did say like a lot of the show had left my memory in terms of specifics. Um, I suppose I can mention like his relationship to um, Tamako, who is the nerdy girl that we mentioned before. Um, so they kind of hit off in one of the episodes over the fact that she's a manga mangaka in training. Like she wants to do manga and obviously like you know with him like being a calligrapher like you know they have a lot she has a lot of respect from in that particular area um so he like says hey you know what um all right i'll, I'll take a look at your manga when she asks him for it and the this is the this is the joy of the show's comedy uh he literally pulls the manga out from inside the envelope and immediately puts it back in again because he's horrified by this judge Ito shit just uh like uh very explicit like blood there's like organs hanging <laughs> it's rough i mean she ain't writing a healing manga anytime soon <laughs> that's for sure no but she's got like uh in contrast to her you know demure manner otherwise she has like these very definite ideas of what she wants her work to be that she'll very aggressively communicate to him yeah, um, I'll mention as well, like, I think uh, Say's role in this show is to serve kind of as the foil uh, to, a, or rather the straight man, I suppose, instead, yeah. to a lot of the other characters. Because a lot of the humor is not derived from him cracking jokes, but rather being the butt of the joke or his overreactions to various things. Um, but it's, like, the, the show never goes out of its way to go so far as to humiliate him. Like, yeah, you know, like, things will happen, like... Um, that will embarrass him, but he'll never like be so far as like be belittled by it, which I think is key as well. Yeah, that's a good point. Like him as kind of uh, 
like a, a relief character or like a sounding board or straight man as you as you put it to to showcase the like wackiness and silliness of like all these other <laughs> wonderful delightful residents of this town um yeah and i think like you said he works really well um joke wise <laughs> the thing that sticks with me for some reason is like uh like just his ability to fall down um at the most inopportune times like uh during the beach episode when he's supposed to be watching the kids he's like concussing himself just falling on the rocks multiple times oh uh, the uh the sideshow bob Ray joke <laughs> yes <Nerd. Yeah>. yes <laughs> yes and uh and there was a time where uh uh walking back from somewhere uh i think a festival he fell down like a path and basically like rolled in his backyard but didn't realize he was in his own backyard and was like lamenting how he was lost and can't someone come rescue him because his ankles hurt and it's just incredibly funny to me um but i think the thing i like about him the most uh i really like how his arc plays out because uh it doesn't feel to me it didn't really feel uh unnaturally rushed you know it didn't feel like we got to get this kind of maturity have him be mature right now either at the beginning or you know at the end they were like oh no we were supposed to develop this guy like let's just make him uh it felt very like kind of an organic growth um and that was helped by things that they did at the midpoint of the show that i'll talk about a little later um but but yeah like i don't know i just kind of really believed the fact that like this guy who had been so sheltered um getting exposed to all these wonderful people and new ideas and kind of living independently would over the course of a few months like start to see like wow like i was a dick <laughs> you know and man i i i should well, change learned he, and, he learns that actually quite quickly in the first episode, even when he's uh, a bit nasty to Naru. Um, when he kind of has the dual realization that, okay, I was shit to the director and I came out here to learn from my mistakes, but I'm now being mean to a child unnecessarily. But what's really neat about the following scene when they reconcile is that Naru, like, legitimately apologizes. Like, we've described her, yep. I mean, we're going to get to her in a little bit. We've described her as the chaos gremlin, and she is absolutely the chaos gremlin. Like, she is Mr. Mixapixelic or whatever you want to name him from Superman. Like, you know, she's just, she, she's just like the devil, like in a trickster, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she always, to my memory, never crosses the line. And she recognizes when she's done wrong. Like she yeah. has a certain boundary that she will not pass with the point where she's legitimately causing like real harm or genuine annoyance to people. And she apologizes to him profusely uh, in that scene, uh, which is... It's uh, to me feels like a really deep parallel to like what same self has not yet done, which is apologize to the director. Yeah. Like she seems in her own way very much ahead of him in terms of maturity, despite oh, totally. the fact that she collects like you know cicada shells and stuff like that. <laughs> and uh, there's this joke which involves her grabbing a sea slug and ah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, there's 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 some jokes here which have censorship pixels on them because the joke is meant to be that oh it's like a dick and i'm like no 
<laughs> no, I forgot about that. I no, totally forgot about that. That uh, I don't. I that's that's like that's like one of two instances where the humor in this show it just gets too crass for my taste. That was a especially miss for sure. <laughs> especially given that it's you know a little girl doing that. Like no, yeah, exactly. please no, please yeah. please no. Yeah, I I did not need to see that. Uh, there's also the scene in which another character decides to stick two fingers up um, Say's ass, and uh, it's just like. Ah, no, thank you. I did not need to see the Faust Super again from Guilty Year. Thank you very much. It is literally the same thing, if you know what I'm referring to. Oh, yeah. <sighs> well, so this is uh, this is a cultural difference, right? That you may, like, I think rightfully probably are a little uncomfortable with. But it's this children's game in Japan called Kancho. Uh, and if you Google, like, Concho butt poking game or something or just google japanese child game finger ass or something like some combination of i'm not putting that in google i'll get fucking arrested i'll get fucking arrested you're trying to get me sent to the fucking locker (laughs) just just google concho then and it's like weird uh you know to us but it is apparently a, a very like normal sort of thing that kids do uh over there so yeah mm. um i mean it was I, it's, the thing the thing is right these jokes like that miss me like i have to say though visually they're still well executed i can at least distinguish that like the color literally drains from honda when that happens um which I suppose, like, if you'll allow me, is now probably a good time for me to talk about the general way I believe the comedy works and why I, for the most part, really liked it. Um, so, Doc, I don't think you well, still... Listen, not, so, before, before we move on from Contro, let me just say, to, me telling you, uh, oh, it's a Japanese thing, it's not me shutting you down. I just wanted to put that information out there um, so that it is not seen as like a random sort of thing. And, uh, you know, that may or may not change your opinion about it. Like, if not, it's completely fine. It's not something I'd be comfortable being on the, uh, well, being the butt of, so to speak, um, (laughs) at all. But like, apparently, (laughs) apparently there are like statues of it. And like, it's just this common kids prank and it comes from the the name like the kids shout concho as they like poke him with uh, the two fingers so people apparently also do it in korea and there's like <laughs> there's like preferred techniques for those who are serious enough to practice according can to I, this did you know facts website about can concha. i can i point something out like if you've ever seen that jojo's part four episode where rohan has to keep his back to the wall constantly um that's what i'll be doing if i ever visit japan if this is a thing that kids do it is it is indeed a thing i don't know if it's like a thing that is going to happen to you in tokyo as a as a foreigner i don't know um i would like to think that it's the sort of thing that they would do that you know kids play pranks all the time but like i think hopefully it's the sort of thing where it's sort of they would do it to people they know and i don't know have some sort of like at least tangential relationship with and you won't have to like worry about this sort of thing if you ever visit Japan. Fingers crossed. At least my finger's not theirs. <laughs> right. Um, the last thing I wanted to say about Say though before you got into the comedy, because this doesn't have to do with the comedy, but um, just like 
again, like from the beginning to the end, it's such a great contrast that I, I never feel like um, at any point in the timeline of the show feels weird, rushed or awkward. Like at the beginning, you know, he punches this guy who doesn't like his work. He is very grumpy about the island. And then in either the last or next to last episode, like when he goes back to talk to the director and just like bows so deeply and gives this very contrite, sincere apology that both the director and Kyle Fuji are just sort of like, wow, <laughs> This really and then, he, and then he spills a drink on him. Oh yeah, no, what? No, he, he throws was, the coffee. He, listen, I complete. Listen, I was gonna get to this later, but look, <laughs> I totally understand that. Not the spilling of coffee on someone, but like the the emotions that would get you there. He feels so vulnerable putting his work out into the world again. Like I, in that moment. I really felt like I got that character, at least that aspect of him. Like he feels terrified that his art is going to get looked at by other people and judged. How scary. Like I, and mm. th- yes, it's fucking terrifying. Imagine, imagine putting workout into the world every week. That is pretty scary. Ah, oh shit. We're doing it now. No. I've ceased to think of this as art. <laughs> or to think of it as having fun yeah. with you. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I'm gonna. That's definitely a pull quote for the back of our box. So. <laughs> Just to go back to what you said earlier. God, All right, I've ceased but, to think oh, of this as art. I've ceased to think incredible. of this as art. <laughs> All right, tell me about the comedy. Um, well, what you actually said there is a perfect segue because I'll just mention as well that. When this show wants to have its serious moments, it will allow it. Like, it's not all completely a joke all the way through. Like, the, the apology is sincere. Like, the, the stuff with Nara before I mentioned was sincere. It's not, like, heavy or anything like that. But it is certainly there and serious when it needs to be. And it handles the tone well. But, okay. So, Doc, I think you and I have discussed this particular film I'm going to bring up now before. And I'm fairly confident that at the time we last talked about it, you said you'd not seen it. So let's see if this is true again. I just feel like, I wish I had dice I could roll here for this, like, you know, or a little <laughs> drum kit start going do 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 Have you seen Airplane by the Zucker Brothers? I have not, no. Okay, have you seen The Naked Gun? Oh, I've seen parts of some of them in a long time ago. I haven't sat down to see a full one of those ever, and the bits and pieces I've seen of some of them were a very long time ago. Mm-hmm. Okay, so for me, like, Airplane is one of the greatest comedy movies ever made. Uh, it's aged mostly very well, save for certain references about things of the period, and also certain jokes, like, about uh, black people as well, which is not not great, yeah. but anyway. anyway. Point being, though, like, the way that the humour in that film works is that anything really goes for, like, a joke, like, like... We're going to use, like, we're going to suddenly have, like, you know, uh, this character pouring gasoline on himself because he doesn't want to talk to this guy anymore, that kind of thing. Um, a lot of it feels random, um, but it's handled, like, very well, in my opinion, um, where anything can go as long as it's not a reference to a specific point in time. Like, with certain exceptions, like, there's a Ronald Reagan joke in there, so good luck getting that if you're under the age of 60. Um, but anyway... 
The reason I mentioned that is a lot of the jokes in like Brackamon like feel like they come completely out of like left field in terms of like how they how they're presented. There's one joke, for example, which is completely appropriate to nothing, which is Naru picks up a stick and an RPG style prompt of black text saying Naru <laughs> obtains slightly longish stick, and that does not appear again no. in the entire show. There is no reason for it to be there. Uh, it just happens. Um, and that's the kind of humor that the Zucker brothers did in a lot of their films where like there's obviously the line for example where um <clears throat> uh you know one of the, one of the guys in the controls how I think it might have been Lloyd Bridges' character says uh you know they're miles off course that's impossible they're on instruments and then you have a hard cut to the guys in the airplane actually playing musical instruments it feels kind of like that in my opinion and i think that's why i found the humor so good because it always like felt fresh like there's something new coming along that wasn't there before like obviously like the jojo's reference for example um there's the amazing bit in episode three of naru trying to speak english and she's got a completely random face that like i don't know what that face was but it was there all right uh, and then, of course, um, you have... Sorry, I've forgotten her name already. Uh, you've got uh, Tabako, like, you know, talking about manga where, like, she goes completely apeshit and, like, talking about it. And, uh, oh, speaking of which, I need to mention one of my favourite comedy moments with, involving her, which is she narrates to us, the audience, about how she found out about Boy Love manga. And she was very shocked by it. Very, oh my, uh, this is this is the forbidden fruit. I, I can't believe this. Um, so, separately... Um, what was his name again? Uh, Hiroshi, uh, the blonde son, the village chief, has given Honda a bunch of calligraphy ink that was very difficult to find. Um, so this scene happens with that, and then uh, Tamako, like you know, she's a boil of like it's his poison by brain, and she comes around the corner, sees like uh, Seishu and um, Hiroshi hugging, very like <laughs> like very strong hug, and because he the, fell. The, <laughs> Yeah, he Again. fell. Um, but she, like, you know, with this on her mind, like, thinks, is this a boil of scene happening right now? And it's like a nuclear explosion going off in her face, which just completely disintegrates her. Like, obviously, that doesn't really happen. Um, it's not legit, like, actually diegetically real. But it's just amazing. It's very well animated as well, for that matter. But it's, like, it's just an amazing joke that comes, like, almost out of nowhere, but feels like a great visual gag for it. So that's the kind of style of humor here where, like, it will be kind of absurdist uh, in places. It won't make a lot of sense, like, literally speaking. Uh, it's not like, you know, puns necessarily. Well, there are some, some of those that here and there. Um, but it works. It's sharp, it's quick, and the jokes keep flowing. They don't hang on one joke and keep talking about it constantly and constantly and constantly. Like, they'll always have something new coming your way, which keeps things fresh. Yeah, and like just the different personalities uh together playing off each other. Like they don't even really have to be making jokey jokes for it to be fun and for it to put a smile on my face at least. So like they could warm me up for like a really good joke by just like having everybody at uh Sensei's house dicking around and it's funny cuz like there's good banter between them. It's always fantastic banter. Like they, he has that kind of relationship with Naru and Tamako and Miwa, where you know he busts their balls and they get on him, and like you know, there are well, different I have, phases. <laughs> I have to say, I think, I think the I think the reason that uh, Honda and um, 
and Miwa get along so well is because they're both insect people. They have oh, the right, little the... tuft of hair. Indeed. In the middle. Yes, the antenna. The, uh, the lo- yeah, the uh, the love healer disease, as we call it. <laughs> I didn't, you know, I didn't even notice that about Seishu until the last episode. I was really bummed out. <laughs> I had gone the whole show without noticing. Oh, God oh, damn it. This like, is very disappointing. I hope he gets that treated. Did you, did you mention, I had to step away from my headphones for a second. Did you mention the, like, as one of the out of nowhere jokes, the like weird face that Naru makes at the beginning of episode three. Yes, yes. <laughs> so what is that? Like, what is that a reference to anything in particular? Because it's I like have iconic. No idea. <laughs> it's it's incredible though. But what I like about that as well is that when she talks with um with Handa later, um because all this is her trying to read English and everyone's very impressed at that. Like, yeah. I don't know what I don't know why this relates to Massa. It must be a cultural thing. But I still found it funny anyway. But, <laughs> This is also the joy of this show in that it is ludicrously well animated. Like, mm. it's... I mean, it seems fairly standard style-wise and obviously it goes all into absurdist gags where, like, everyone suddenly gets, like, kind of chibi faces and stuff like that. Or they do things like, you know, where um, <laughs> Handa, like, literally throws Nara out of his house no less than, I think, three times. Um, But, like, that scene of the face, for example, like, when... Uh, Handa challenges her to read something else out in English that she can't. Like, her face just seamlessly, in a great Saka moment, just changes from this, like, big, like, you know, block-jawed, like, you know, masculine <laughs> face back to a normal one, like a deflating balloon. Yes. And then we cut to cre- and then we cut to opening credits, which helps sell the joke even more. Oh, man. So good. That's why part is also good, because editing edit- edit- and cutting is a key part of comedy. Like, yeah. let it hang just a little bit, cut away, and then you're like, ha, ah, that's great, I love it. You don't hang on it too long. Like the comedic pacing and timing is is pretty exquisite in this show, I must say. Absolutely, um, and it is also I feel uh, never like hating on its characters. It's never no cruel, which I always have appreciated in comedies. I mean, I, I use this example a lot, but like you know, The Office is sort of the standard bearer for like modern TV. Uh, popular uh, comedy show that like is really cruel to its characters and um, that kind of humor only goes so far with me I mean I enjoyed it to a point when I did watch it but like it just got to be too much for me the uh, the the uh, the cruelty in in the humor the making fun of rather the laughing at rather than the laughing with and this show is always laughing with its cast be it like you know, the Chaos Gremlin, uh, the middle school uh, ladies, uh, the uh, neurotic professor, or the elderly people that populate the town. They all are quirky and do weird stuff, but uh, but it's always very kind of a warm comedy, which, which I love. And uh, I think this is like a nice transition to talking about Naru, because uh, we mentioned the stick and, and the face. And uh, mm-hmm. so who is Naru? Uh, Naru Katoishi is, what is she like? Is she six? I think she's six and has her seventh um, birthday. Um, unless she's like an ancient, like, you know. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, don't do tri- it. Trickster don't demon. say it. <laughs> okay. she's, an, she's, an ancient, she's an ancient trickster demon. I may look 12, but I'm no, 5,000 no, no, years no, old. No, not that. <laughs> not um, that. I meant, I meant more as in like... Uh, that she's just complete anarchy, like distilled into a small child with a heart, though. Oh, it's a ab oh, such such heart, and she's such a believable child character. Um, she is, um, 
a bit of a, a latchkey kid, but uh, a very wholesome one. And she she does her grandfather is kind of her only um, like supervising presence, but like he's a farmer, so he has to be in the fields all day every day, and he cannot watch her. So she floats around, um, and for whatever reason, she's not in school. Um, it, it is said, you know, they do have schools, but like, I guess, I don't know, maybe I've misjudged her age or they, I don't know what age they start school in Japan, but ba- she doesn't seem like she goes to school or, or, or maybe she does, but like, we just kind of see her during her off times or something like that. But anyway, she's, you know, parentless, uh, and is often crashing at, uh, Say's house on the island getting into trouble, uh, making life hard for him in a, in a very, you know, charming way, hanging out with the other kids on the Island, be they older kids who are teaching her inappropriate phrases, um, which is amusing, uh, or like the younger kids that, uh, you know, get up to fun little kid stuff like bug collecting. And, uh, she's, um, she's a delight. She's never like really an irritant, uh, in my opinion. Hmm, I agree. Um, so what was your? What, did you already talk about your favorite Naru moment with the the RPG oh, joke? <laughs> the, the, well, that, it, it's just so out there, like it. But that's part of why I love it. <laughs> it's um, so good. But yeah, like um, also when she first appears, like the we're in like the way we're introduced to her, she's hiding in a little cupboard inside uh, <laughs> Handa's new house, and. <laughs> When I say, like, little chaos gremlin, like, that's literally how the show visually presents her, like, with this, like, really creepy smile. But then she just comes out and she's just fun. Like, she calls him um, a Junon boy. And there's something about oh, the yeah. way about... Uh, oh, yeah. About, there's something <laughs> about the way about how her voice actress says that that just really, really makes me chuckle. Right. Like, <laughs> I don't um, even know what Junon boy means, <laughs> but it's fun. I'm got, I'm going to assume it's someone who never got past Junon in Final Fantasy VII. Right. That's a good, yes. Let's, let's pretend that's what it is. I enjoy this. Um, and I, I love the fact that her, um, sort of the, the localizers slash translators like, um, kind of gave her dialogue, the affectation of, you know, being a child, but also being from a very rural area. Because, you know, she says things like, you know, instead of saying, Sensei, there are a lot of fun events that I'd like to share with you. She's like, there's gobs of stuff I want to do with you. <laughs> and it's it's so <laughs> cute. It's it's great. Hmm, I agree. Um, and there's like a really heartwarming moment with her that I want to talk about later uh, in the in the themes section. So we'll move on to Tamako Arai who we've already talked about quite a bit. She is the nerdy middle school girl. Uh, she is, I guess, um, well, no, are they middle school? They might be high school. I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I, think, don't, I don't know. I think it's mentioned that they're uh, late middle schoolers, as I understand it. Yeah, maybe like they're starting I mean, their freshman year of high school. Well, we've got the universal standard of how to tell how old someone is in the Japanese high school, which is what's the class number? And I think theirs is 2-1. Hmm, okay. Or, or possibly 2-2. Two, two. So that would make them the same age as uh, the characters of Persona 4, appropriately enough. So they'd be 16. Well, if that's the case, they are in high school. So there are three, ah, there we go. There are three years of Japanese high school, and I don't know how many years of middle school. Um, 
Yeah, but I know, I know that Hiro, who we'll talk about later, is I think at least a year older than them. Um, but yeah, no, I guess that they're, I guess that they're second years. Uh, anyway, like she is like very quiet, and she is sort of um, like you said a manga con training and fighting against she has like an internal battle with herself uh, like not wanting to be seen as a fujoshi despite like really loving manga and really being fascinated with bl and such like um she just has these really funny internal battles rolling around on her bed or elsewhere trying to shake quote unquote impure thoughts out of her head, but also still being fascinated by them because apparently mm-hmm. like when she was a little kid, she got like a trunk mailed to her and one of the manga it had in it was, was BL. And she like <laughs> this thing where she little her like throws it on the ground and like walks away from it. But then later comes back and it's like, yeah, yeah, this is for me. <laughs> it's good. Bit, bit sundary about it. Like, no, I'm, I'm totally into this. Maybe I am. Maybe, maybe I am. Maybe I am into it. Uh, we talked a lot about her. Um, so I think we could probably move on to Miwa Yamamura. <clears throat> she is like the erstwhile companion of Tamako. They're mm-hmm. 99% of the time. If you see one, they're together. She's much sportier. Um, and, uh, yeah, she, she is the one who like, she's very messy, uh, a lot more of a tomboy sort of surface level, uh, diametrically opposed to Tamako. Um, very messy, like oh, always I know, a, it's messing up sensei's house. I <laughs> uh, speaking, you've actually just made, I was about to say something and you just give me the perfect lean there. Why did they have Marilyn Manson posters <laughs> and also Slipknot posters? There was also house. a professional wrestling poster of someone. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I like, that's... I, I, like, just to be clear, uh, like, Miwa, like, she does not present as someone who would necessarily be into And that's fine, like, people don't necessarily need to, but if I, like, showed... I guarantee if I took the, her character design and said, okay, what music do you think this person is into? I don't think they would end up suggesting Slipknot. Um, It could be one of those things where, like... I don't know. I feel like uh, more people than you think might be into like metal or metal adjacent music uh, in Japan. It might have more of a fan base. Um, hmm. And when it's foreign music, um, does, you know, it is English. So like, and English is a ubiqui- pretty, fairly ubiquitous in cities there. But they are rural folks. So I don't know. Maybe it's just like cool, hard rock music that she doesn't really understand all the lyrics like like a fan of like j-metal over here or whatever i don't know anyone who's a fan of j-metal not me no <laughs> right yes it's um or maybe maybe it's real maybe they're uh tomiko's posters and that's how she gets inspired to draw like dudes intestines hanging out she just listens to slipknot all the time <laughs> that actually makes way too much sense <laughs> could be um, but they, yeah, those two, uh, kind of squat in Sensei's house before, before Honda moves there. Um, it's their sort of private base with, uh, Naru and they often take care of Naru despite like also having some fun with her, teaching her like, again, inappropriate phrases and things like that. Oh, with the SM club thing. Um, my, yeah, my, my, uh, <laughs> right, right. My, my, uh, cousins who were 
you know, they, they did that with me, um, as well. So hmm. I get it. It's, uh, uh that, that explains so much. Oh, <laughs> uh, they taught me all the swear words and then had me list them off and it made them laugh a lot. Just be a little tiny child saying swear words. Um, and, uh, so Miwa, uh, did you have any like fun moments with her? I mean, I like, I really enjoy all of her sort of objections to, senseis uh i keep calling him sensei getting that habit uh honda's um calligraphy training like they're they enter a phase of the show like midway through where they're trying to do their summer homework and they have some calligraphy and they're like oh hey sensei help us out and he's like i can't just help you you know you have this is not a temp like we need to do real training when i'm done with you you'll be prize winners and and uh me was very much like oh no this is horrible <laughs> immediately, immediately regretting that mistake uh well there is a there is a amusing moment at the end when uh indeed uh tamako does get the gold in the calligraphy contest yes yes uh, but miwa only gets silver oh dear she can't stand oh. it she's been taught like perfectionism by her sensei the fucking uh honda at maybe that, that point is maybe very... that was foreshadowing for the ending though you never know right for sure um mm. She's so much fun. I really like her dad too, Iwo or Iwao Yamamura. Um, he's like a super tough guy. Like I, th- I, th- I th- hate my boat. Doesn't uh, doesn't uh, Honda think he's like a yakuza at some point? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that yep. joke is made. Um, well, this, that's joke's actually made twice, believe it or not. But one of them is not at Iwao's expense. Uh, but we'll get to the character that that is referring to in a little bit. Um, there's like, he, like I said, so he's, um, why has the name left me? Just cause I'm not looking at the paper. She's Miwa's dad. And, uh, there's a really fantastic episode where he, uh, wants Honda to write calligraphy on the side of his new boat. Uh, yep. I forget what he's boat. called the boat. But, um, but yeah, he's going to do it. He's like so pumped because this isn't just some pattern he's buying to spray paint on. It's a real life calligraphy master. I'm going to get him to, to ride on my boat and it's going to be rad. Which is is sort of like saying, Hey, you know what? I know full well you paid the inside of that chapel. How about you do some decals on my car? (laughs) It kind of is like that, isn't it? they're, they're They're in the, they're in the same very broad ballpark. But they're not quite the same thing. So obviously, <laughs> Anders completely and utterly like, okay, I have to do an angle. I have to practice. I can't just simply start paying on there. Which leads, of course, to an amazing Nari moment where she's put her hands, as a child would, in the ink <laughs> and just goes dunk yep. and puts a handprint <laughs> yep. on it. That's a- poor, poor say. Like <sighs> his soul just left his body when that happened. I love that entire episode because it has like these amazing comedic moments where. Like, say he's been practicing to like do the <laughs> do the calligraphy on the boat uh, to get the right size and everything like that. He uses all these practice boards, and mm-hmm. like <laughs> while he's talking about like now I'm used to writing and paint. I'm gonna do awesome. Like I've I've been through the rigors of training. Um, 
he's like narrating this and the camera pans over all the things he's written on the practice boards and they're like demon dad <laughs> yakuza <laughs> all this really incendiary <laughs> insults about Iwao. Um, and that's really it's just great. a shame he did it's just a shame he did write it in the yakuza video game font it's true no it's so true and then the fact that he finds them later is is amazing but um he he probably is only acting like he's insulted but he's probably like yeah i'm putting out the correct image like people are picking up what i'm putting down uh but but there's also like a really cool like moment you know that you talked about with the the kids putting naru and kenta like putting their hands on the boat uh ink covered hands that is something that like jump starts say out of his like artistic paralysis because he's just mm. like standing there looking mm. at the boat frozen like like you might do if you were an artist like in front of a blank canvas like man i know what i'm doing but like what the fuck do i do like i'm paralyzed i can't begin like this this vast white void and for this blankness like where do i start i can't pick a starting point because once i start i'll have a path forward but is it the right path i don't know like what do i do and and like just the fact that she helped him get out of it in that very simple way and then he has to like cover the handprints with his uh with his paintbrush like it's so cool and so endearing well, that's one of the general ideas of the show, which we'll come back to in a bit when we get to the themes. But a lot of um, Say's like moments of inspiration, they don't just happen in a vacuum. They happen in relation to events that he experiences. Yeah. And I think that's one of the show's key messages. Uh, but we'll come back to that in a bit, and I'll explain it in more detail. We have Hiroshi Kido, Hironi. Uh, he is the blonde, uh, bottle blonde, son of the village chief, um Yujiro Kido and who wife Akko. Uh we can talk about them all as a family if you want, but um they're pretty fun uh background characters. Like Hiroshi begins the show very uh antagonistic uh towards Say, thinking, oh, here's a stuck up city man who uh is like super talented at everything. Amazing. But they have this moment where he learns like actually He's just like a person who's struggling like me and like any talent he has was was really born from trial and error and effort, you know, and uh, it's very sort of Japanese idea that he needs to internalize right about uh, uh, hard work producing these incredible Mm -hmm. results. And um, he he actually fits a similar role to uh, say actually as it happens in that he serves also kind of as a straight foil, mm-hmm. uh, but just one who happens to actually be living in the village. Like, the first scene we get of him is him, like, you know, talking with his parents, and they're... How do I describe this? Like, they're, they're, they're the hip... <laughs> they're the hip mum, hip, hip, hip dad, like, kind of thing, where they, they're constantly joking and all that, like, and they say the, the worst thing possible, which is, it's okay, you gotta be! It means you'll be normal! And I... Uh, I, I that line is the most horrifying thing in this entire show, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. You'll be normal. No, absolutely not. Normal right. boring. <laughs> normal yeah. is literally average. Fuck that noise. Yeah, and he he realizes this like important thing of uh, like I think he feels like upon reflection he's kind of been entitled. Like he's put out a little bit of effort, but expected minimal effort to be rewarded with maximal results and 
I think he just mm-hmm. you know needs to see like people like devoting like their life to something, you know, like this maximal kind of effort. And only then will you get those kind of huge results. Like and that, I think, kind of helps motivate him because his thing is that he's just not very motivated. Uh, and, and then you hear later on in the show, he's like, yeah, like, you know, next year, I really am going to buckle down and study for these exams and get a job to get off this island. Right. Um, but his parents are really funny too. I mean, like his mom, like has the couple. Now really say, I know you're, I know <laughs> you're in the hospital and I know that you're, you know, like loose the island and I reckon you might be single. This is a nurse and she's cool <laughs> and all, but she's also married. And then of course, say in his infinite wisdom decides to respond as if I'd flirt with her. I know. Whoops. <laughs> and, and okay. Okay. Oh, no. Listen, I didn't mean listen, that. listen, listen, everyone, right. Coming from a gentleman who has been single for a very long time, I want to point something out. Even I know, first off, you don't say that. You you don't say that at all. But secondly, you especially do not say that when you are at their mercy in a medical environment. Yeah. Yeah. That's a delicate... Do you want to know what's in this syringe? (laughs) It's like a delicate I mean, there are mentions of suppositories. Oh, yeah, the the suppositories. Ever they they that's their number one go to treatment. Um, the suppository, uh, and that nurse comes. I can't remember her name, but she comes back later as a goldfish scooping pro. Uh, which oh is yeah, she's she's scene. a she's a she's a king at that or a queen, brother. I mean to say, it's every you know everybody's got some talent, right? Hers is scooping goldfish with that weird spoon. Um, but uh, but uh, Akko kiddo, right? The mom has some great bits of. Uh, like <laughs> like wanting to feel like a woman again <laughs> by delivering food to uh, a handsome single man um, and how like making the food invigorates her <laughs> and their husband's totally cool with it. And Hero is just like, mom, shut up, please. Yeah. Uh, this is embarrassing. Making make make food for you doesn't do it anymore. No, Sorry. Nope. Nope. It's, uh, it's, it's not, it's not revving my engine. Um, we have someone you've already... Nine, 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 nine that way, I need to say, but rather just like, you know, you want to make food one, your son's right there, but like, nope. Nah. Oh yeah, and they, well, and, and they also are not risky because they always like what she cooks. And this represents not only a handsome man for her to cook for again, but like, you know, um, someone that, that there's a risk there. She's got to be on her number one game, a game to make good food so that he'll definitely like it. Uh, we have someone you've mentioned also, Kao Fuji Takao, uh, who is mm. Honda's best buddy, and I guess his like manager, um, or handler. Yeah, they were or friends something. in high school, and then they've they've actually changed over time to the point where he is indeed managing him, as you say. Um, Kao Fuji, like, there's something I also need to mention, which is that there are moments of comedy outside of the island, but maybe this is just me. They didn't feel quite as pronounced. Um, out there it seems to be more serious like obviously like you know you've got the visual way in which you know like um say loses his shit after he punches the director right um but like kawafuji in particular i want to make a note of this just again ahead of time here um kawafuji comes to the island at like the midpoint of the show's run just to check in on say if i recall correctly Mm -hmm. especially since at some point he breaks his cell phone um and 
the, what's amazing is he gets introduced to all the people on the island and they get him absolutely shit-faced. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> which, which is great. Um, but while he's actually interacting with these people, like he himself being an outsider, as say was slash is, um, like he himself also becomes like a, a straight man to the jokes, um, <laughs> which is great in its own right, don't get me wrong. Um, especially, I think, was, was he also in that scene where... Um, no, that was actually... Sorry, I'm getting mixed up with sauce. Uh, but anyway, point being, um, where he like starts being on the Brissini end of these jokes and like pranks and whatnot. Um, but that only happens really while he's on the island, um, which is something neat I think is worth pointing out for late discussion. Um, but yeah, Kawa Fuji's great in his own right as well. He also like really cuts loose because like, he, he, he... This is something I actually know, surprisingly enough, which is that... Um, if you have tattoos in Japan, you are basically marked as like being a member of the Yakuza. And one of the things I want to make uh, clear on it is that I, I like the fact that he, like, he's clearly prone, like, or seems like he has some comic sensibility to him. Like, he's not completely uptight. But when he actually gets to the island, of course, and interacts with uh, all of the community <laughs> members there, that's when, like, the true Kawafuji seems to come about a bit. <laughs> Um, which is also plays into the fact that people start calling him a Yakuza as well because he has tattoos. Tattoos? Because <laughs> yeah. in Japan, if you have tattoos, then you are, like, because they have been for so long, like, seen as a part of, like, the Yakuza lifestyle uh, that people associate with that in the cultural sense, uh, which is also why you'll never see me go to Japan and take my shirts off. Very sorry, all the Japanese listeners who are ladies out there who might be interested. <laughs> all, none of you. Uh, anyway. I didn't know you had tattoos. So, I have two of them, actually. Both of them are dragons. Uh, one on my Ooh. right arm and one on my left. Nice. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, um, yeah, um, like, Kawafuji, like, I mean, the the thing with him getting absolutely blitzed with by the, uh, you know, blitz drunk while um, chatting with the town members is really great at its own right. But, um, yeah, he does pretty well. Like, I, I try to remember some specific moments. But if you've got any you want to chime in with, Doc, please do. I mean, I think you hit the main ones, like he's um wasn't like a huge source of comedy for me other than other than him coming to the island and getting lost and hating it and then getting drunk and uh then recovering hangover and then basically like his last afternoon there they go fishing and then he leaves um which i I found really funny because it was supposed to be his vacation um but no i think you you summed it up pretty well on Kalfuji. So I think we can move on to Kanzaki Kosuke, who is like uh, the high schooler who is a calligrapher, an up-and-comer, and, comer, and uh, seen as, as Honda's rival um, because, like, so did he did he win he a fla- grand he, prize? He, yeah. in, okay. In, in episode... In episode three, I think it is, like, uh, Honda is at that point submitted something for a competition. He gets the second place. Uh, and it is, um, sorry, I'm forgetting his name now as well. It's Kosuke's uh, pr- submission that gets first. So he is like, surpassed him. Because it turns out he was inspired by Honda. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know, guessing, I'm guessing he was quite the fan of, uh, you know, that one line from Star Wars way back when. Remind me. You know, he's... Oh, my God. You know, once I was but the apprentice, now I am the master. Oh, yeah, right. Yes. It's like, so, yeah, secretly, that's how he feels. But, like, outwardly, like, 
he's uh very deferential and polite and like oh you're the senpai you're the snow you're the sensei like i am but like you you see that like part of him come out when they're fishing like i'm the fucking best i'm gonna get the the monster fish he's like Mm -hmm. becomes ultra competitive in that moment um but I think about, for the most part, the, he probably um, does feel uh, like the the sort of junior, the apprentice, like because he's idolized and emulated uh, Honda, like has this fucking fan book of all the interviews he's done and all the pictures he's been like the, the photo ops he's been in. And this mortifies Honda. <laughs> yeah. Imagine if you had social media, like oh, I've got no. all the passwords to your to your Tumblr and whatnot. <laughs> Oh no! Um, <laughs> I followed you by like you left the geolocation on your Instagram on, and so I have a map of your movements. <laughs> oh God! Um, well, I would. I, you know that you know, it'd be funny if that if that map of movements then like translated into mm. a calligraphy symbol for the, yes. for the words "fuck you." Yes. That would rule. That, <laughs> that, would, that's, rule. that, would, that would be a, a joke fitting with the show, I think. Uh, but for me, like my favorite thing with it, I, I, and I may be getting mixed up with Karafuji, but the scene when they try to board the airplane and they're trying to go through security and he just keeps getting oh fucking God. like beep and everyone's just losing them. That is Karafuji. <laughs> oh, it's Karafuji. It's shite. I but it listen, Never mind. that is an incredible moment. Like it's, it's might be my favorite moment with Hero and Miwa when they just for whatever reason find it hilarious when people get beeped in the, in the metal detector <laughs> like you, it's imagine, not that funny just, but the fact that they find it funny is funny just just imagine like you know being able to do that in an airport these days it's just <laughs> it's, yeah right. that's that's how you know this island is laid back yes yes uh and i don't even see like there might be like one guard but uh oh that scene kills me and i love cal fuji for for that moment um but uh a great moment with uh with kosuke is when 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 naru and i is it i it might be kenta uh, they just start making paper airplanes out of uh kosuke's fan book uh (laughs) yes (laughs) incredible and uh Kosuke is is none too pleased with this, but but Honda gets a kick out of it. Um, and at first, you know, when like the episode prior to Kosuke entering the show, like they show an after credits or at the end of the episode before the credits, like Kao Fuji and this kid have landed. Uh, Kosuke and I'm like oh man more characters <laughs> that's what I was thinking I was like I don't want them mm. to take the spotlight off the characters that are already here but it turns out that um, Kosuke Kanzaki I think serves this valuable function um, to further push along uh, say Honda in his journey because he can look at Kosuke and see a lot of his former self and think boy um, just looking at this person, there's just a lot of qualities I dislike. And I was slash am like this. I've got to figure out how to move on from being this way. Um, because he too, like Honda, in addition to being kind of a stuck up self-absorbed, you know, only interested in calligraphy, like kind of, kind of dude. Uh, he also 
his whole artistic kind of shtick is to slavishly copy someone else. Um, and and Honda, of course, that's the whole reason uh, he was sent to the island because the director is like thinks that his calligraphy is like a child's copybook. Like you're these are you know form appropriate letters down to the t that it's all sort of like a craft and not very much very like very art. rote yeah um, well that's that in itself is an interesting thing to think of that uh kosuke like takes such inspiration from handa even though like handa himself is accused of being like purely mechanical like in the way he produces these things like you know there's no organic nature to them yeah. No life to him, if you want to call it that. And then you have someone who imitates him so well that the risk is he becomes, uh, you know, susceptible to doing that. And yeah. indeed, we kind of see that towards the end of the show. But I think that might also be one of the ideas of the show itself, which I'll get to in a bit. But yeah, like... Totally. Mm. So next one we have on our list is Kensa Uhama, uh, the shaved head kid. Uh, basically, <laughs> imagine, imagine, imagine me minus beard and also a child. There you go. Um, <laughs> he is a rowdy one. Um, he, he, yeah, and um, he's, uh, speaking of the beat, oh, go ahead. Of the beetle loving, yes, he's a beetle loving kid, and there's an entire scene dedicated to Honda trying to catch various beetles and <laughs> being pretty terrible. He's at it. so bad because he hates insects, and uh, he sort of slightly overcomes it for Naru's sake because he wants to get her something cool for her birthday, and you know, finally, after trying to get so many beetles. And accidentally mm-hmm. getting a beetle and killing it by with by falling on it, he has like a yeah. like a scarab, and he's like, "I've I've done it." And then it, of course pinches his hand because he's holding it wrong. But he's he's yep. worked up the courage to hold it, which is something. <laughs> hmm. Um, there's also that amazing scene uh, involving Kent saying Naru's being bullied by the kids around oh, town, and the kids. My, <laughs> I did realize we get Barakamon's version of the Shelbyville skit from The Simpsons, but here we are. <laughs> I'm just glad they didn't end up going to a lemon tree. <laughs> those are like, uh, like if you if you age those kids up about um, 10, 15 years, like they are background characters in Final Fantasy VII Remake. Oh God! I mean, they're yeah. just so, like sounds, a corner, about right. a corner little gang. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that episode was great. The the playground war. <laughs> they started fucking playing dodgeball and just like the hero and and honda just full power full speed like annihilated the little kids with the dodgeball <laughs> so mean um but but funny yeah um yeah good old yeah, kenta like, though I, uh he's he is i think he's there to be chaotic like naru and and kind of play off of uh her chaos and increase it um uh, but he also is kind of jealous of uh, Honda for all the attention Naru gives Honda. Um, yes. I think that's an important part of his character for a few episodes anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the last two characters that we'll mention, uh, we have um, Aki, who is uh, Miwa's younger brother. Um, the thing I like about Aki is that he doesn't actually have a lot of jokes or do a lot of comedic things, but he's probably the smartest person in the village. Yes, like he comes. He comes across like as very, very chill. I'll, I, um, I would, I would say a bit like dry. Like, yeah, very dry. Very. Like, uh, I'm, I'm above this shit. I, yeah, I I'm above this. Yes, like, like less like 
I mean, he you're right. He is chill and laid back, but it's like it, the the vibe is almost like um uh he's just very straight laced and in his own not in his in his own world, but yeah, like just feels like uh, I am above the shenanigans that happen in this town. Um, my my favorite scene involving Aki is when uh, he. <laughs> can't help but laughing at this <laughs> i think his grandma owns the uh the store uh the, with the one pay f- with the one phone in the entire yeah. village <laughs> having to teach say how to use a uh uh like a dial tone um, old phone it's like it's oh, like a, a rotary phone, a rotary yeah. phone. It's, it's like uh watching one of those like kids react videos on youtube <laughs> It's it's amazing how like it fits that bill like of how the kids are always teaching the adults how to use technology, but this one is actually ancient. So it's a great it's it's a, it's a great subversion of that that trope. Like I mean, I've talked about it before. Like I've taught my dad to like plug shit into shit, um, but I don't know how to use a rotary phone. But it is quite. I think it's quite a witty like you know version of that. That's quite neat. It is. It it made me laugh so much, and again, just reminded me of like, you know. Kids play Mega Man for the NES. And they're just like, what is this? It's so hard. <laughs> I hate this. <laughs> or kids, you see like a, like a television or, or an old radio. I don't know. Um, and then the what's last the character. R- what's this What's this uh, CRT thing? <laughs> right, yeah. What, Why is it not what, what are these free cables? Why know. are these free cables that are color-coded? <laughs> I don't know what these are. And what's our- a Scott lead? <laughs> Our last character is... Um, uh, Kusaku Kotoishi, who is uh, the farming man who we mentioned earlier, Naru's grandpa, or as uh, he's dubbed by Say in the first episode hilariously, First Villager. <laughs> he's the shuttle bus for the airport. Yeah, What's that? He's the shuttle bus for the Exa- airport. Exactly. The fucking Yujiro is supposed to be there. I love that their village chief is like one of the most irresponsible people. It like really sets the tone for the island of, uh, you know mm-hmm. what? We're just kind of, we just don't really, we're not uptight. We're, we're a little lackadaisical. It's good. But yeah, the grandpa, a lot of fun. Um, the shuttle bus from the airport, um, very wise. Uh, also gets uh, Honda addicted to like, this food that apparently his mother thinks is weird and strange. Um, we don't really have to talk about, uh, and, and you can talk about grandpa in, a, uh, Kotoshi in a second, but like, did, did you, did you like, uh, Honda's mother? Cause I was really down on the way they portrayed her. I did not care for her. I think that that's one of the other areas where maybe the comedy went too far. Because I think the intent behind that was to show her, like, for this to be like, oh, she's the overprotective mother. It's like, you know, it's meant to be funny. Um, but yeah, I do think that went a little bit too far, both in terms of the number of times they tried that joke. When the actual lesson that comes of that scene, I think, is very fair. And that's why I think yeah. that I don't disagree with her behaving that way in that. But I think that trying to milk so much humor from it, like, kind of, like, it wasn't welcome to keep doing that where she was constantly freaking out a bit too much like there's being overprotective like of your kids like and saying like he's gone down he's learned all these wicked ways and all that but there's a way of making that come across that can still be comedic without it constantly being her like oh he's he's, he's my boy is gone like it 
I think it's overcooks a little bit that particular comedic beat. I mean, maybe it's just because I have like a terrible slash non-existent relationship with my mother that I just did not have any time for this like overprotection because uh, that was sort of the source of our uh, um, my mother and I's kind of the genesis of our beef, if you will, is is that uh, quality in her, and so. Yeah, I was very much like, oh boy, great, this is great. And then, like, it's one of the rare times, you know, you mentioned Barakamon not dwelling on jokes. Like, they really spent a lot of the time in the se- in that episode uh, mm-hmm. really hammering that home. Whereas, when, e- when he, even if when they, he, like... Sorry to interrupt, but when no, no, you said, ahead. like, that you, you weren't... Um you know, you weren't down with her because she reminded, like, you reminded you, like, of your own relationship. But I actually thought you were going to say, like, you weren't down it because you disagreed with her and you were totally cool with sending your kids to an island just to fend for themselves. <laughs> well, listen, if you're talking about our my grown-ass child, well, I guess I wouldn't have as much of a problem with it. Also, uh, I feel like in our own culture, uh, I will have very much uh, less of a say over the life of my adult children <laughs> as, uh, as maybe is the case, um, in a lot of Japanese families. Um, but, um, what is going to say? Um, I don't know. They, yeah, they just, even if they, the show does, uh, like use a similar joke a lot. I feel like much of the time it's disguised because they don't, do it over and over again in the same episode um mm-hmm. but yeah they do it there and i didn't really i didn't really like his mom she was kind of whatever but uh but yeah um those are like the main main cast members i think we touched on pretty much everybody I and mean, there's um a few unnamed kids and uh villagers that kind of have like you know a quarter of an episode even though they get named um but that's, you know, that's the cast, and I don't know, I just had so much fun with them. Uh, I think it's a fantastic cast and a group that I really, really enjoyed spending time with. Uh, they did not wear out their welcome. No, they did not. I mean, I feel bad in that I don't feel like I have very strong memories of specific moments, of like a lot of the more specific moments in the show. Um, but at the same time, I do sincerely mean it when I say like I did really get a good laugh out a lot of stuff now. I found it very pleasant. Like, it was a, just a genuinely enjoyable watch. But it's an enjoyable watch with some meat to it as well, which I think now is the perfect way, uh, segue for us to talk about themes and ideas. Because I think that when you... If I may start off, like, yeah. I think when you write a show like this, which is, here's a guy from the city and he goes to the country, I think there's potentially an inherent message in that, which can be problematic which is, oh, if you just give up on the city and go to the country, all your problems will solve themselves. Which, Mm. here's the thing, right? That, I do feel, if you play it very broadly, uh, can be a flaw in these kind of stories. Yeah. Because not all of, like, everyone's life problems are a function of location. I mean, let me put it this way. If you live with someone and you and them, like, let's say you've got a partner, right? And you and them are not getting along very well. um, Do you think really, truly, that moving away from where you are right now will solve that? Like, now, obviously, I've been very broad there, and it could very well be there is a location that's causing you not to get along very well. Uh, You might have neighbors that you like and, you know, they don't. Um, It could be that. But... You've got to be careful when you apply this kind of message very broadly that 
it's not always going to be the case that simply switching location solves everything. I think, but I, I like I could see someone kind of taking that from this show, though. Um, not for all problems, but for uh, you know, like if if you feel like uh, your life is too uh, stressful, hectic, if you feel crowded and you feel like sort of drained of joy, uh, you know, the trick is leave behind the sort of crowded urban life and move to uh, a small rural place where you know everyone and can have these like serendipitous moments of uh, fun and joy and you can kind of cobble together a little family and it'll be great. Um, I I totally see how someone could take that from the show or at least like think it's sort of indirectly saying that. Yeah. I, I'm willing, however, to accept in the case of Barakamon because I think that because of the reasoning why, like what essentially the, the purpose of why he's out there, why Handra's gone there, it's not simply just to escape a nebulous concept of a busy city life. He's there specifically to hone his calligraphy and also admittedly as part of like a penance thing to put him out of the way of the director and such, um, which is fair. Um but like a lot of the more inspirational moments he has in the show are a result of his interactions with the people in the village. So I don't think the lesson in Barakamon is a very broad, like, doesn't matter what problem you've got, you can go to the country and, uh, you know, get away from it all. But I do think that the lesson, or rather one of the ideas Barakamon is, is that, to put it very simply, to relax a little bit. Because it'll bring, it'll reap benefits for you both in terms of your well-being, but also in terms of your creative output. Like, this is why I said very early on in the show, uh, in this podcast rather, that think about it. Does it not make any sense to you that the director's lambasting his work even though it's one first place? Does that not seem a bit odd? Like, why would he say that even though he's presumably on the same judging panel that's given that prize out? You know? Right. And I think that maybe Barakamon is perhaps putting the message out there that in this kind of creative field... Like, to spoil the end of the show, by the way, no. uh, there is another similar competition, uh, which uh, Hander enters, and he doesn't even get, like, top three. I think he gets, like, fifth, fifth. in that one, mm-hmm. if I recall. Yeah. He finishes ahead he's complete- of uh, Kanzaki, though. <laughs> yeah. But he's entirely okay with that. Um, and the thing is, like, I think the reason that is is because the work he's created for that is a product of his experiences, his very, like, positive experiences that in the village with the people, um, these characters... Yeah, um, and he's learning. And so he, so, sorry, I was just going to say, and he's also like learning a new style. Like, and I think as he kind of grows uh, in confidence and ability and maturity with his own unique style, like I think he probably expects to progress more. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Um. So, I think the lesson is not just leave the city and go to the country and it'll solve everything, but rather that I think the thing that Brackamon is trying to say, which I think is why I brought Rakugo Shinjo as well, is that this very rigid like criteria for what constitutes good art and in certain good calligraphy, like it is better to create art from a passionate and positive experience that might categorize like in terms of like these like arbitrary standards, like not rate so highly you know, then aim for like, you know, first place, but create something that's functionally hollow. That I think is the lesson it's trying to get across. That's why the characters are as specific as they are. Like, you know, these crazy, like, you know, unique individuals, because I don't necessarily know a Naru, for example, but I know a lot of unique people in my life. 
Um, and where I an artist, like, you know, trying to find inspiration, like, you know, drawing from that, those particular experiences, I think would be very beneficial. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that, I think that's the lesson it's trying to get across. And that's why I brought Kawafuji because Kawafuji, like, seems to become more himself. Like, we see a little bit of the veil peeled back a bit. Right. He's no longer obviously wearing the, like, you know, shirt and tie outfit. We get to see his tattoos. Some, like, that's the reason he has those because apart from the Akusa joke, we get to see something that he obviously does not present to the world. And he gets to do that in this particular environment. So that I think is the lesson. I think this is also accentuated by some excellent direction because when um, Handa goes back to Tokyo, the introduction we get to him going back there is a lot of like very busy noise. Like there's, there's like subways, like cars and all that. It's very noise driven. Like you go from quiet country place to like traffic, et cetera, et cetera, you know? Um, so I think that is one of the lessons of the show, which is that it's not for everyone, but in this very specific instance, it's basically saying to hell with like, you know, these standards that are being imposed on your creative output. What's actually important is that it comes from experiences that you value. So yeah, like that I think is the main lesson of the show, which is that like trying to reach an arbitrary standard, get yourself a goal, like, you know, place prize in whatever you're trying to compete in is less important than creating work that's deeply personal to you. That's why, like, all of the moments that we see of Handa, like, creating, like, the big clues, like, the sun one or the stars one, for example, or even the one where he's, like, literally sitting on, you know, this bowl of ink to try and, like, make prints with it. Um, You know, they might not, by a calligrapher's standards, be good in whatever standards they use for that, but they're personal and meaningful to him, and that's what's important. So that to me is the big takeaway for the show. And that's why I think it'll stick to me, stick with me afterwards. Because it's true. Better, in my opinion, to make a work that you personally care about is informed by stuff that you fondly remember than just, I don't know, crapping out something that you don't give a shit about just to try and, like, you know, get a prize. Like, to make Oscar bait, for example. No, I, I think I agree with uh, most of what you're saying there. Um, but I, I think I want to approach some of the points a little differently because while you were talking i had some thoughts um i think that barakamon is not saying very specifically like what you need to do is leave the city and your problems will go away uh i think the key uh deal is that i think while honda does end up going back to the island I think that he will not be there forever. I think he will have some time there and he may come back to Tokyo. He may not. Mm. Um, may I May I just interrupt him and say something that just popped into my head then? Can you imagine a different, like a follow-up to this show? Like this is, I'm not even saying this necessarily would be good, but I just, it just popped to me and I have to get out there. What if like we had a follow-up where it was like in the future and like Naru was grown up and she then left the island while he stayed. Like it was like the closing like weeks before that happened. Yeah. And we got to reflect all the time. Like there's, there's potentially like, cause yes, uh, Handa does indeed stay on the island and I saw that coming to be honest. Well, he so goes back, didn't... right? I mean, he'll have to go back to Tokyo sometimes to continue his career. I don't think he can fully maintain island residency and be a calligrapher right mm-hmm. i don't think that's the so he will either live there part of the time 
But I agree that that's an enticing example that you've posed for future thing. And also, I think that will be the case with Hiro. Like Hiroshi is gonna gonna leave the island and go elsewhere because I yeah. I think the point is not go to the country uh, and your problems will be solved. But I think rather the point I took from it was that when you are young and do not have a lot of life experience, going on a pilgrimage of sorts is something that can be of incredible value to you. And it turned out to be not just important to him as a person because, you know, he's rediscovering himself and figuring out a new style that's uniquely his uh, as an artist. But it, it turned out to be like super important to him as a as a human being, as a person. Yes, um, that's true as well. You're quite right. And yeah, I mean, I just think like regardless of whether he ends up staying on the island later, I think the the big key is like he was in tokyo that was his life that's all he knew but then he went to this island for this period of time and it changed his life just like it did his dad's and that's how his dad knew something like that will be good for him because he did the same thing he went on went on his own kind of pilgrimage and you know a lot of people like travel uh go abroad live for a year in different places or two or more and like it can really be valuable and enriching and it's sort of the thing that like helped him um kind of uh, improve as as a human because like it's it's actually sort of foreshadowed a lot in episode two (laughs) kind of uh what personally the island journey is going to do for honda when you know, they're on, uh, he and Naru are moving back home. Uh, they're like traveling back to his house, I should say. And she's like, Hey, sensei, like come up here and look at the sunset. And he looks up and he's like, what sunset? There's only clouds. Can't see anything. She's like, no, no, no. You just have to, you just have to climb up here. Uh, and you can see, ah, yes. He just had to title defense. Yeah. You just had to, he just had to get a different perspective on what, you know, on the world to see the beauty in it. And getting that different perspective was very uncomfortable for him. It required effort and work on his part, the climbing. Well, just, just to add into that, like what, I don't think this is necessarily intended by the show, but I think it's still a valid reading is that what they're climbing is a tidal defense for the island. So obviously by going over there like he's getting out of somewhere that's safe and somewhere that's a bit more risky Mm. so that plays into it as well yeah yeah and he's able to like have this vantage point to see like this like beauty and you know just see the world a different way and it's kind of like a a a microcosm or a kind of encapsulation of what his journey uh does for him what his time on the island as his kind of uh his time abroad his pilgrimage or whatever does for him as as a person and you know i think this can happen for people i mean certainly travel and living in a different kind of culture is a way to do it but in honda's case it wasn't international travel and i think a lot of people my uh in my country will have this sort of awakening or change of perspective when they go off to college to university um, and you know, they're out of the home, uh, they're out of the bubble 
uh, and, and shelter that they have been in. And, uh, you know, they may have achieved a lot before, but now they are exposed to all these different ideas, different viewpoints, different lifestyles uh, and opinions. Many they might not agree with, many they might, uh, and some that will like change their minds and change their lives. So, yeah, I think I think the show, like one of the things I took from it was how important that is to, as a young person, part of growing up is getting out of those uh, very comfortable kind of uh, that, that lifestyle that you've maintained. And, you know, he did it even after he was a working professional. It's like he skipped over that, um, that yeah. part of his well, that's, life. That, that's, that's something that his uh, father actually says when he's staying with them. Like, you know, we're to blame for keeping him so sheltered. And indeed there are hints of that through like the, um, mm-hmm through the episodes like we get some flashbacks back to when he was younger um so yeah i agree wholeheartedly as well it's also about like just getting out there to meet people like uh one thing i will mention as well as a final thought on something i felt was kind of genius um throughout the show's run um people keep letting themselves into handa's house and the reason that is is not like i mean i wouldn't necessarily want like people on my street coming into house but the thing is like this is a very small community and they all know each other very well like, it's one of those very tightly knit village places. So it's understandable they feel comfortable, like, walking in and out of other people's houses. Um, but one thing to note is that, like, Handers, like, has five keys in total for his home. But some of them are missing and some of them are in possession of other people. And I want to note that by the end of the show, he has actually got all of them back. So it's now right. entirely up to him who he lets in and out of his house. But he's still willing to do that and let people come in. So it's it's a signifier like of how his attitude has changed towards like the islanders over time. That he's become much more familiar and comfortable with them to the point where he's just like, "Hey, I didn't want you coming in here like like in the first episode, for example, or even in the second uh, with Mina, for example." Uh, but now I control like I have full control over comes in and out. But that doesn't you know I, I want you to feel free to come in and join uh, as you please. Yeah, th- thanks Miwa for copying the key <laughs> all the time. <laughs> yeah, I and the one he just found. Yeah, the one he found randomly out in the field. Yeah, that was the one she lost. She was like, oh, "I made four copies, and I've got these ones, but I don't know where the other one is. <laughs> I must have dropped it somewhere." <laughs> and then, yes, he fortuitously finds it uh, when he gets lost in his backyard. <laughs> uh, I really loved. You know, you mentioned like him letting people in. Uh, there's that like scene in the first episode when everyone in the evening comes to help him move in. And that scene fucking rules, man. Like I, all throughout the show, there are these like fantastic moments of these other people, you know, whether he likes it or not, like looking out for him and treating him as one of their own as extended family. Um, and you know, whether or not he's let them in and he gradually softens and, and does that. But, uh, but man, it felt so much like, again, I've used this word a lot in the show, but like unforced, um, yeah, because they're not doing it all the time. Just sometimes just in uh, moments that he really needs someone. Um, and because of that, like you know 
if it, it feels to me better than something like um, I've talked about this show a few times on the podcast, uh, Big Wind Up, the baseball mm. show. Uh, the main character in that, the, his problems are not the same problems as Honda's, but where they are similar is that they are, uh, by default, two very isolated characters for very different reasons, but they're very isolated. And the shows, uh, both shows, are kind of about them being accepted despite all their flaws uh, by these other characters. And the big windup, you know, uh, Ukiku Furikabute is the Japanese title. Thank you, Self, for remembering that. Uh, mm-hmm. Big windup, like, just did not feel as organic. Like, every, it just felt like everyone was all the time tripping over themselves to help this person who, um, didn't really show, didn't really <laughs> reciprocate all that much or, or show very much interest. I don't know. Um, I I'm doing, I always, I feel like bring this up in a negative, but I think the show is quite good despite a nagging kind of issue I have with it. But, but to get back to Barakamon, um, it really did not feel, uh, like it didn't feel super constructed or contrived that these people would show up every so often to give him food or uh, help him move or, um, you know, pull him into this big cultural event, um, you know, or or make him part of their uh, weird, like, <laughs> like uh, idiosyncratic, I guess is a better word for it, uh, kind of death remembrance ceremonies. Um because apparently no other that uh, they did not do anything like what this what the Godo Islanders did in Tokyo. It was totally different with like fireworks and uh, nighttime and all this other stuff. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I I really liked this aspect of the show. The like real like it, it just felt like a it really felt like a true community, um, and not again like something that was just constructed only for the purpose of making the viewer feel good, which it does, but it still felt more natural than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, I don't really have anything else to add about the show other than that. Yeah, it was, it was a fun, pleasant watch, which was kind of why I needed right now. Um, it's not a lot of it. There's not unfortunately stuck me, but that is not the fault of the show. I should really, really stress that. Um, so, for me, like, I would, like, if you want my recommendation on it, uh, in fact, is, do you have anything else to add before we wrap up, Doc, comes to think of it? I do. I do. Um, I just wanted to to say just a few things about, so I, I talked earlier about, um, you know, the pilgrimage and how, like, what, what Barakamon sort of thinks is beneficial to Honda, the human being, but... You know, there's also this other aspect of it, which you touched on a lot with some um, what the show thinks he needs as an artist. Um, and it really struck me watching this show, Shadon, how I, in anime, I can't really think of a ton of shows that are maybe there are more than I'm giving it credit for. There always are. But like this is such a story of like personal failure. Um, mm. And this character that. Like, I mean, he's just, he is disgraced. He is at his lowest point in life. Um, 
he has failed. Um, despite being, you know, his his career being this this great success up to this point, and just like that, it's this show about like a person coming to terms with his failure, and it takes a long time. It's not an instant thing, like him humbling himself and and gaining all this life experience and this new perspective and maturation like takes time and it's like painful sometimes but it was so refreshing to see a show that yeah was about um an adult who uh had experienced this huge failing um cuz i think yeah. You know, similar to what I said about um what's his uh what's his name in um decadence. Like w- when you have an adult character Kabaragi. Like, what's up? Kabaragi. Thank you. With Kabaragi. But when you have like an adult character, you just have all these different trajectories and avenues you can explore. Um that you can have them have failed and them already having these deep flaws and the show doesn't have to be about like the great potential uh of youth or anything like that those shows are great i love those kinds of shows. you have to love those sort of things as an anime fan um but no this was cool and like you got to see him be like super vulnerable i mean to the point of uh like we were saying throwing coffee on uh the director who he just apologized to and it was this complete gut reaction. It was a physical response, like a psychosomatic thing from the uh, the emotion that he was. It was totally fight or flight, like completely, oh my God, this is the most terrifying thing ever. My very being is on the line because like someone is about to judge my art. I can't let him know. Yeah. And then he ends up just saying, I this mean- is not really... This is not really my art. This is not what the, the this is this is a test. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Like so cool to see that. Yeah. I mean, like, it feels kind of appropriate that it end like, you know, he started both failing artistically and failing as a person, like failing as a human being, like, you know, by yeah. lashing out into the way he did. But that he ends up like, you know, be better at both in the ways that are truly important. Like, okay, by all, like, he does worse the second time around if you want to go by, like, oh, he got first, and then he got second, and then he got fifth. So, arguably, he's gotten worse over time. But the show is very clear on the fact that, you know, that doesn't matter. Exactly. What matters what matters is, like, you know, whether or not he's content with the work he's created, and that the value of it is, like, you know, what we've seen, which is the, how are the experiences he's had on the island with all these wonderful people uh, have made him a better person and he's able to translate that into the characters. So yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, yeah, you, you totally pointed this out earlier that like the show is very much saying that like a calligrapher as an artist ought to be concerned with different things ultimately than how they do in these exhibitions and that the sort of, you know, governing body or association, like judges them as like those things, you know, are probably important for your career, but they probably also shouldn't be your sole kind of driving, um, thing as an artist to like, to place high, because then I don't know, because then you're, you're missing out, you're losing something. You're, you're not focusing on, on the right thing or, or maybe, yeah, you're just missing something about what being an artist could do for you. 
uh, as a human being. And yeah, just how those are different. I mean, you could argue he got worse, but like, again, it's like, you know, they have these, these great like lessons in the episodes. Like we talked about the one about talent being born from Mm -hmm. hard work, but they talk too about like, what is acknowledgement and why does it matter to an artist? Like, um, cause I think Kanzaki reveals himself to be concerned chiefly with acknowledgement. Like if he doesn't have acknowledgement, he doesn't have validation. If he doesn't have validation, he doesn't have a purpose as an artist and as a human. But like if, you know, the show is like unequivocally against that as like a way to live, like chasing this acknowledgement like there has to be something in the art that the artist pursues like just for the sake of of that and whether or not they attain the acknowledgement will be secondary and you could argue that's a very idealistic kind of viewpoint but it's it's one that that i like mm-hmm. yeah uh, do you have anything else to add doc oh i think that that's mostly it um yeah, yeah, that was that I, was a lot. Think, There's a lot there. That, yeah, there's more to it than meets the eye of this one. There is definitely messages and ideas to it. Um, and I think it's a good lesson for everyone that it's, you know, it's better not to chase, like, you know, the gold medal um, at the expense of, like, being true to yourself and being, like, you know, create, like, even if you're not, like, necessarily a creative, but at least, like, you know, just being enriched by the experiences you can have with other people, like, you know, so yeah, um, to pick up where I left off early before I remembered that maybe I should let Don talk a little bit, which yeah. is uh, it, it basically like my I will remember some stuff from this show, but like the specific comedy beats, like a lot of it will probably have left me by now. In fact, I know for a fact it has. But again, that is not an indictment against the show. That's just me. And I think that, you know, much like how you suggested that, you know, maybe um, say like only needs to spend so long on the island before returning. I suppose that concerns could be true also of Barakamon. Like, if there was more, like, content with these characters, it would probably wear thin after a while, I would say. I think it's just about the right length. Um, it's very funny. It is also very well animated in a lot of places. Like, they like they throw everything but the kitchen sink in terms of style at this, I think. Um, they Like, for example, when they have the fishing tournament... Um, and they introduce these two locals and they've got like these amazing like you know uh, <laughs> wrestling cards like introductions for them <laughs> things like that or of course we mentioned naru's like sudden man face yes uh, or even the stick thing like you know they like it it feels like they're willing to try and make you know do different things with it which is great um so all in all i really enjoyed my time with Brackamon. it's not the best thing i've seen by a long shot it's not even in my top 10 like i'd call it pretty good uh maybe even great uh, the only things that I had problems with really were that some of the jokes like were a bit too puerile for my taste. Um, I don't want to see Naru gripping a sea slug and then having white stuff come out of it. Like that, <laughs> that was a that's such just, oh, like that, over the line. <laughs> that was a that was what we in the industry call a swing and a miss. Definitely. So, so it's not flawless by all means. Um, but yeah, it's a pleasant time. Um, it's a nice comfort blanket, and I reckon pretty much anyone can enjoy it if they just like. If you're feeling down, go watch it. And it will make you feel better. Which, I mean, it's a healing anime. Does it make you feel better at the end of it? Yes. So it's a success in my opinion. Kinema Citrus is, you know, apex as a studio. Before. <laughs> yeah, and then they and then they made the anti-healing anime that just made me feel shit afterwards. So thanks a bunch for that, Kinema Citrus. 
the the anime virus. I mean, they could, and the, the thing is, that, okay, okay, look, they, it's not their fault. They didn't write that shit. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So I will. I'll be fair. I'll be fair to them and just say, look, it's okay if you had like guns to your heads. I understand. I know, like you've got to make bank and all that. It's like Barrett Wallace says on the elevator. They're, com- oh, they're complicit. The noted, noted philosopher, <laughs> like I said. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, what about you, Doc? How would you sum up the show, then? Well, I mean, I also really, really liked it. You know, I really enjoyed my time with it. And as you said, I think it is the appropriate length because um, I think it has uh, plenty to say and lots of fun jokes and character moments. Um, and it truly doesn't feel like it wears out its welcome. Um, I think... You know, I guess because the manga went on forever, they had plenty of material to adapt um, kind of six years into its run. Uh, so it is uh, something I've enjoyed my time with. I, I felt the healing vibes. Um, one thing I will note is that I don't think that you have to be into calligraphy or very into Japanese oh, no, culture. no to appreciate it i mean certainly if you are you'll probably like it uh you know you'll get you'll get those extra bits out of it but i think like i mean i know nothing about calligraphy first of all but and so i think you don't really need an appreciation for you know super duper japanese uh art or anything like that uh or the rural japanese life um to like appreciate this show i mean i think you could kind of substitute calligraphy for any form of creative expression um rakugo maybe yeah right um and honda and yeah just to put just to pipe in there about the thing about calligraphy by the way like everything that i've inferred about like the way like calligraphy works in this show like it has been entirely through the show itself, and the show has been like pretty much entirely terminology free. Like, if you're expecting like for them to start talking about the names of styles and whatnot, yes, uh, it doesn't do yes. that. Um, <laughs> so you can walk into this pretty much blind, just as long as you have at least some understanding that this is like like Rakugo, like uh, Takazura Fear. Um, you know, there is a long-standing Japanese cultural uh, art, and that you can make some extrapolation of that about how rigid it can be in terms of what it demands from the people who are doing it. Um, but that's all you need. And that, to me, seems like, a, a, you know, something that any attentive audience can intuit from it. Totally. I mean, there are there are layers, um, right? Like, if you're super duper into calligraphy or are a calligrapher yourself, boy, you will you probably already watched this show. Um, you have been seen. If you're just, like, you know, an artist in a different medium, like, there's a lot you could take out of that. Um, if you're like in your early twenties and a frustrated young professional, there's uh, an in there. Um, so there's like a lot of ways you could enjoy the show. And again, don't need or to. Or even be... if you're in, in your in you're a frustrated professional in your thirties, like I yeah, am. Yeah, exactly. Me too. Um, if you enjoy the chaos gremlins, uh, this is uh, one of the you know one of the all timers in in Naru. I, d- I defy I defy anyone like to say they don't like Naru. I mean, like I like she she she's not like <laughs> she's she's a perfectly constructed character in my opinion because she doesn't overdo any one part of her, like you know she's not so like constantly screaming in your face like kind of thing, uh, nor Handa's face for that matter. Like she's 
perfectly blended. Uh, and she's great. She's really, really enjoyable. I'll go one further. Definitely the highlight of the show. I'll go one further. If you don't like Naru, stop listening to this podcast and unsubscribe. See yourself Ooh, out of our yeah. community. Yeah. <laughs> Who are you that There's doesn't like Naru? <laughs> My God. There's the door. Off you go. Just, I mean, of all the humans you could dislike, Naru. <laughs> Why? She's delightful. <laughs> oh, but I, she yeah, is. I totally recommend it. I mean, I think even if this is not your bag, I think like, you know, so I wouldn't consider myself someone who is like always seeking out slice of life anime um, to enjoy. You know, I, I bet like if you're into slower paced, more slice of life things, then this show has already been on your radar. But if you're not, um, I still think you'll like this because th- that's not really a thing that I seek out frequently, though when I have, I've enjoyed. Um, and I really dug this uh, a lot. I mean, I think it is, uh, it's got enough plot. You know, it's it's never just sort of sitting around doing nothing. Um, you know, it's, it's not uh, that sort of chill show. Like there's always stuff going on. They're always going somewhere. Uh, they're always uh, in the middle of some uh, goal or task, or there's always something to do, always character interactions um, that are meaningful, uh, and it's always making you laugh. So, yeah, like, I totally two thumbs up. Um, I think it's really good. Um, as far as these kind of shows, uh, I would put it um, at or near the top of the ones that I have seen. Um yeah, I, I enjoyed it uh, a hell of a lot. Okay, well, I guess I guess that's going to do it then for the Barakamon request line. Um, Shadon, thank you so much for hanging out and discussing this wonderful little anime with me for a couple hours. My pleasure. Thank you, my friend. And to all the lovely patrons, thank you ever so much for... Uh, being part of our community for supporting us uh, again head over to patreon.com slash show to support us if you'd like to uh, if you don't want to that's also okay you can still find our stuff on any podcast platform and on youtube and twitch um and special shouts to mirror on the wall for hell yeah requesting this this was really good um, I, I you didn't make me watch a soda can anime <laughs> thank you thank you from the bottom of my heart <laughs> oh, good old Tallulah Bell coming through the clutch. Um, yeah, I'm glad you dodged that. I am. I am so glad I dodged that. Soda, glad. soda, yeah, glad. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm dead. I'm dead. I am done. I am. A, I'm gonna go get drunk after this. Me thinks. Um, yeah, I guess with that we we bid a fond farewell to Barackamon Obama. So, oh God, Mr. President, thank you for your time. <laughs> Oh god. Um listen. Everybody, thanks again. Embrace each other everyone to the ends of the universe. We'll see you next time. Good night. Bring back the brothers.
you think of that? 